0: Oh man, look at those kids and go It's a creepy show Take a look at the low man Leaning up the wrong
1: guy Oh man, wonder if he'll never know Hello there, you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for 71 my name is Tom Chick, and to discuss 71, for you, the listener, I have brought along Christian Omroski.
2: Uh, you can call me Wee Man.
1: And, with our 71 tagline, Kelly Wand. He dropped the bomb. Okay. I get... What? I don't get it.
3: Ah! Oh. That's a Quint reference.
1: But I don't understand the...
3: they dropped the bomb in 71. And then... They messed up with the bomb.
1: I, said, whatever. Whatever. I see. All right, do you have a backup for guys like me that didn't get that Kelly
3: Wand? He's, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. Aren't Catholics and Protestants pretty much the same thing and Irish and British people pretty much the same thing, except one slightly greener? At least fight over oil or slaves. Anything black. <laughs> There's your backup. Oh my <laughs> that was
2: a good God.
1: tagline. No, that was good. That <laughs> had some political insight. Deep. It was gallows yeah. humor. I, I liked that quite a bit, Kelly Wong. Very mm. nice. See? Very good. I can't believe a Quint reference. No, Literally. I knew it. I didn't understand the relevance. I was oh. like, yeah, like I it's like, what What does that have to do with? Uh...
3: Shouldn't you set the clock timer for a little later? It's Terminator Genesis all over again.
2: Oh, that clock thing was so awesome. Tom primed us for that. That was great.
3: Get it? Get it? Primed us? I didn't it?
2: mean that. Uh. What? Think no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was for once I can feel comfortable saying pun not intended.
1: Well, speaking of puns, Kelly Wan, do you have any clever wordplay from IMDb synopses to read to us and have us guess the movie? Guess the movie. That's your hint.
3: <laughs> There's a serial bomber loose in Boston. Bobston. And he has killed Blanket, a member of Boston's bomb squad, and the best friend of
1: explosives
3: expert, Jimmy Dove.
1: God, I know this. What is it? That's, ah.
2: Is this um The uh, the Departed?
1: That's oh. like Nighthawks oh. or some crappy movie uh, from like the oh. 80s where you're chasing a oh. bomber terror. Yeah, it is. What
3: is it? Oh. Dub has just retired from the bomb squad to marry a violinist named Kate, who has an 11-year-old daughter named Elizabeth. No, I know this, Kelly Wand. <laughs> I've totally seen this.
2: Why are they naming all these people?
3: <laughs> I know. And then that made Tom go, oh, yeah, Elizabeth. Haunted by grisly flashbacks, Dub soon figures out the identity of the bomber, Irish explosives expert Ryan Geraghty, the man who is so radical in his views that even the IRA wants nothing to do.
1: With I have him. seen this, Kelly Wand. I know this movie. I think you have seen it. Uh, I saw it. Shoot, what is it? All right, give me the he... actor's names. I need the actor's names. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is this
2: Tommy Lee, uh, what's his name?
1: Uh, Jones.
2: Is this Tommy Lee Jones?
1: Yeah. Tommy Lee, what's his name? You could think of Tommy Lee, but you couldn't think of Jones?
2: I was, because I've isn't already I've already been thinking about him for uh, for something else later on that I want to talk about. But which? What, um, what I, is I, the movie? I know I've seen this. It's blown away, isn't it?
1: blown away what a terrible name all right it was the thing
3: that came after speed and it made everyone go all right speed's the good bomb movie and this one's the uh one that didn't know speed was being
1: made wow all right good i apologize for
2: goofing on tommy lee's last name
1: wait what
3: Garrity, has now taken up residence in an abandoned gambling ship called the Dolphin, has decided to get revenge on Dove, and Garrity started terrorizing the bomb squad by killing Blanket. Now Dove is the only one who can stop Garrity. Just wanted to throw that in there.
1: Who's the villain in this? Anyone famous? Tommy Lee Jones! Oh, he's the villain? Who's no, the Jeff, good guy then? Jeff, the Irish um, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, sorry. He's <laughs> the bad guy or the good guy? He's the
3: good guy. Okay. And he, gets, he can't stop bombs, just like in Arlington Road.
1: That's what I was gonna say. It sounds like Arlington Road, but with uh, a, a bomb's the, always Trump. Jeff Bridges, right? He's not good. You don't want him on your side if you've got a, yeah, it's a bomb. Yeah, shitty bomb diffuser. It's like Jeff, He's let always... me handle this. You just take care of, you know. He's always a little late. He's always like, "Wait, what? A bomb?"
2: Right. And, and the guy in, um, the guy in Speed is Jeff Daniels. So Jeff's in general shouldn't deal with bombs.
1: Right. Yeah. First name is Jeff. Find another line of work. Yeah. Jeff's Spicoli also. <laughs> also, Guy Pierce. From Hurt Locker, you don't want him disarming your bombs. What? Uh, he was the first one. Yeah, didn't Guy Pierce booger up the first bomb? Because you're our Hurt Locker expert. It wasn't that Guy Pierce? Yeah, the was a, Guy, P-
2: Guy a, Pierce. I'm craving a burger. a burger. Is that strange? Um, it's not his fault though. He was walking away from it, and some dude set it off with a cell phone. It's not his fault.
1: Mm. He should have walked away faster.
2: He can't. He's in a he's in a giant cyborg suit.
1: You should have uh, sent. Why didn't they send in that little uh, drone thing to disarm it?
2: They tried, but the wheel fell off. Courtesy of the tr- United States Army.
1: Is that true? That's what happens. The wheel falls off of it and hurtlocks. Yeah,
2: yeah. The the robot goes in, but it's dragging behind this wagon. But it looks like a wagon from I don't know, from the 1950s or something. And and it goes over some uh, rubble, and the wheel falls off. And, then, and that's
1: why Guy Pierce has to go in.
2: And so Guy Pierce has to go in and deliver the wagon uh, manually and set up all the explosives so that they can blow up the
1: uh, the explosives. Oh, that's awesome.
3: Yeah. Jude Law doesn't stop bombs good
1: either, by the way. Where, where did Jude Law screw up a bomb disarming?
3: Black Sea.
1: In the abyss. No, not the abyss. He, he would have And actually, you want Ed Harris. Ed Harris is great at it. That's right. Harris. Oh, yeah. you, you want Ed Harris. You don't want uh, George C. Scott want you know what that's a reference to? Exorcist Three, the Hindenburg. He screws up disarming the uh, bomb in the Hindenburg. Because <laughs> of watch parts. Uh, something like that. Yeah, he cuts the wrong wire. I forget specifically, but George C. Scott it was my first experience as a child seeing someone screw up a bomb disarming. Wait, he cuts the wrong wire. I forget exactly why or The timer goes off, but whatever, it's that normal scene where someone's going to disarm the bomb at the last minute. But because it's the Hindenburg, and you kind of know, you know, history spoils it. Uh, you know that it's going to go down in flames. Uh, he screws up, and it, you know, blows up in his face and takes down the Hindenburg. He didn't he, know he was in a biopic. Right. he, he, well, a, he didn't know he was in a, a historical dramatization. Yeah. He yeah. thought he was in Black Sunday, but not. Right. Right, exactly. This time the blimp is going down. I only got two wires. This time the blimp's going down. <laughs> that was the tagline for the Hindenburg movie. This
2: uh, time, Ted Harris done, just uh, gets okay. lucky in the abyss, though.
1: He kind of does, yeah. But still, because he, he still, can't you know, see the colors because he's underwater, or he's me. I mean, come on. He's got a fifty percent chance to get the right one, but he, he rolls right. You know, he right. does Luckily, rolls.
3: Rings and aliens. Deus Ex mocking him out of it, along with Chris Elliott.
1: All right, well, speaking of bombs, you can just tell people. Actually, that sounded wrong. It's a terrible segue. I meant something in the movie and not the nature of the movie itself. Actually, I'll go with this. Speaking, speaking of, of boots. Speaking of bombs, um, a, a movie called Paper Towns opened this weekend, uh, <laughs> which is based on a young adult novel. Uh, a novelist, I think his name is John Green, or it's some very nondescript name. I don't know his work. Um, but he's mainly known in, in movie circles has the guy who's uh, who had another novel adapted, I, I think this was last year, about this time, called uh, *The Fault in Our Stars*. Uh, <laughs> *Fault in Our Stars* had a great opening, forty-eight million dollar opening weekend. So, *Paper Towns*. I thought you meant the first scene was good, and you saw it. That's what I no, 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 the opening weekend commercially uh, *Fault in Our hey. Stars* was a big hit. *Paper Towns*, they, you know, they were expecting, hey, this, this guy's young adult fiction. It's got a built-in audience. Kids will flock to it. You know. Between Girls, Paper Towns opens this weekend, and bombs, $12 million. Uh, Movies
3: with paper in the title never do well because people don't want to read.
1: So the, the among the differences, uh, and I think the key difference, is uh, the cast. So Paper Towns basically has this woman named Cara Delevingne, or I don't even know if I'm saying that. Oh, her again? Who we all found very annoying in um, – uh, Just. You know, I in uh, Face of an Angel, uh, she is basically, I, I think, the the new, hot, young, it girl, flavor of the month, whatever, who is, they're using to sell paper towns. It didn't work, whereas Fault in Our Stars, I think, is a testament to how awesome and how well-marketed she is. Uh, Shailene Woodley is.
3: Yeah,
2: I totally well, agree with you on
1: that. Has she's the face she's, of an angel.
2: Shailene Woodley's really good in Fault in Our Stars, and I even, I even liked uh, Ansel Elgort. I think they're good in that.
1: Yeah. And she's also... And Cara DeVinley think, has the face of a yak. But what were you going to say? Uh, and I think the lesson here is that, uh, you know, if you're if you're going to, you know, for a young adult thing like that to succeed, pay attention to who you're casting. Get someone awesome, like Shailene Woodley, and not some annoying model-turned-actress like Cara Delevingne in her eyebrows. Make sure the eyebrows match, and you're fine. So, yeah.
3: All wh- right. even, even if she has an eyebrow coming out of her nose...
1: That's fine. So, uh, Dingus, uh, not speaking of bombs, because this movie wasn't a, a bomb, uh, but there is a bomb in it. Dingus, why don't you tell folks what we saw this week?
2: All right. Well, this week we saw um, Apostrophe 71, a 2015 British historical action drama thriller movie about a British soldier separated from his unit in Belfast in 1971. It was directed by Jan Demange and written by Gregory Burke. It stars Jack O'Connell, mm. Barry <laughs> Barry Cowan, oh my gosh, you guys, uh, mm. Corey McKinley, and, uh, well, Mark McCann, Richard Dormer, and Charlie mm. Murphy. Charlie Murphy is who you should be going, mm.
1: wait, why? Well, I'm not sure. I, so I don't know a lot of the actors' names, but I do know my Richard Dormer. I love that guy.
2: Yeah, he's really—I mean, he, that guy. As soon as he walks on screen, you're just like, "Holy cats!" I want to—I want that guy for my dad. That's awesome. That's an awesome dude.
3: Wow. Well, you I guys like Natalie Dormer
1: for my babysitter. No. Charlie Murphy plays his daughter. Oh, okay. I was thinking of dudes. Right. Wait a minute. Kelly, one. Natalie Dormer. That's is she sweet. any relation to Richard Dormer? Is that true?
3: Well, I don't know. I just <laughs> like her. Like yeah. looking at her.
1: They were both on Game of Thrones, by the way. But Richard—well, we'll get into Richard Dormer. Who was Richard I, Dormer on Thrones?
3: Uh,
2: Barry Keoghan was uh Sean. the Right, kid. he was the
1: kid who has the vaguely. uh I, Yeah, he's got a very distinctive face. In, in right, we'll talk about that later. And again, Corey like McKinley, the kid, little kid. So. Oh, that kid. Oh man, here's all right. Okay, sorry. We'll we'll get into these in a minute. All right, so carry on, Dingus. Uh, I'm guessing this is rated mm, PG-13,
2: maybe. Well, Tom, you're close. Yeah? It's actually 71 is rated
3: R.
1: Hmm. Carry on. How do you feel about that?
3: Um. Well. T- in back in 71, there was no PG-13. True. So it has to be an R or PG. Fair enough.
1: And is why is this rated R? Oh, my gosh. Huh? It's rated but R for all that-
3: strong violence. Strong. All right. Jaws was PG, and it has a guy's foot getting cut off.
2: But go on. Sorry. It's rated R for strong violence, disturbing images, and language throughout.
1: Uh, I love that yeah. Kelly Wan thinks that in Jaws, someone's foot was, quote, cut off.
2: Yeah. or And that he thinks that Jaws is <laughs> <was> rated R. <laughs>
1: No, that's what i was saying. It's not. It's PG. PG and it had a foot cut off. Yeah, like the foot was uh, just just conveniently cut off. By Maybe the title character. Were scissors used when the foot was cut off?
3: It was cut <laughs> off by a jaw. <laughs>
2: it's rated R for license plate
3: removal. Yeah, that part's gross. And uh, also, for the,
1: the, the, There's a lot of smoking in it, so Tom would rate it R. So uh, 71 had a very limited release. It doesn't really have any uh, substantial box office numbers in the the U.S. But if we look at the critical reception on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the same numbers as Mad Max Fury Road, by the way, 97% of the reviews are positive.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, On Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, uh, 71 is at 83. So if
3: it's someone Britain – Kicked out or has issues with, like Ireland or Australia, it gets a 97. Britain has issues with Australia. What what are those issues well, yeah. that they want? Well, kick them out. They're the prison colony from Britain. That's Australia. not being kicked out.
1: That's being used. And who was, who was kicked out <laughs> in Ireland? What, what was the uh, kicking out there? The, the Irish were like, get out of here. Alright, so the Irish are basically Brits that moved to Ireland, is that how that happened?
2: (laughs) So Britain didn't want Ireland in the Empire, so they're like, you guys go over there, you just do your own thing.
1: They don't like each other. Britain and Ireland don't like each other. Oh, I didn't, huh. Well, in the movie. Kinda. Some of them. Kelly Wand, I see you, you really have your finger on the pulse of the uh, the Irish Troubles, I see. I don't really understand the Irish Troubles. It is complicated, pretty, and that's one of the things I've well, – well, we'll get into this. Like, yeah, me too. How does yeah. movie handle this complicated situation? So before we get into that, though, maybe you haven't seen 71. Um, certainly the critics, and I'm guessing all of us on this podcast feel you should see it. Um, but in case you haven't, Kelly Wand is now going to spoil it by giving you a synopsis of the events in the movie – you might not want it spoiled for you if you're going to see it. Uh, so, just a spoiler warning. We've already spoiled a lot of things, though. What would you call a synopsis of the movie 71? 70 Wopsis. 70 Wapsis. Awesome. I like the 70. Sorry, Italians. Yeah, no, it's only Italian. What's going on there? All right, so Tellywan, with the 70 Wopsis, uh, you know, drive it like you stole it. <laughs>
3: That's your very good friend. Place it in the backpack like you – wait, what if it had gotten 71s on Rotten Tomatoes? And-
1: then that would have meant it was a movie that wasn't liked as much as it was. But it made 71 million, too. What if it had all three of those? 71s? Then Kelly would the- that would be an example of synchronicity. 70 Wapses.
3: A young British soldier kicks a soccer ball into a wall with a kid near it. Then goes, yeah, I guess this is slightly more fun with more people. Unlike Catch. The kids are, like, are we related? <laughs> you like that thing? Might be terrible
2: I like their accent. I,
3: yeah. blah, 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 blah. I can't act. I'm not known as an actor. You are known as exactly an known actor. Known. Yeah. The kids all are, are we related? The soldiers all. Oh, I don't know, but I do know what year it is. Or at least the last two digits. You want to ask me that instead? The kid stares at him, baffled. Some numbers are all apostrophe seventy-one. Wait, let me say that over again. Some numbers are all seventy-one. I lean over to the potato ticking beside me and go. The apostrophe means the first number is a one, usually followed by a seven, eight, or nine. You'd know that if you had eyes. The potato's all. I do have eyes, Kelly. The Black Soldier from Edger's game makes a bunch of young recruits walk into a room. <laughs> He's all, oi, oh, rot, right, right. you bloomin' mix. This here's where you sleep. This over here's where you yawn. And later on, I'll show you all where you shit. Spoiler alert, it's called a toilet. I look over the potato and go, those grew more popular after all in the family. Or as your kind would say, appealing. Guess you could say you're a chip <laughs> off the old block. Uh, I guess your favorite day of the week's Friday. As a white soldier walks into the toilet classroom and goes, Oh, uh, this thing on the wall here is called a map. So I think we're at war with somebody, like in Battleship. You know, the famous War of 71. So this green trouble spot here is called Ireland. Ireland, us, Ireland. For some reason, it's got Catholics and Protestants in it, and they can't fucking stand each other. I guess they disagree on a Bible quote about bombs. So whatever you do, don't go there. We'll just find something more productive to shoot at while they blow each other up. Any questions? One goes all, yo, what? Map guide's all, we're going to Ireland. Now bring your guns in a truck. But remember, our job's just to keep order, not to do anything. Now let's move out. They drive to the Irish slums and get out. Some kids throw balloons full of pee at them. They all laugh at each other for getting pee thrown on them. Then look at the kids and go, ban rascals. <laughs> uh. One soldier's all, yeah, I got two little ones of me own. He opens a billfold and shows everybody pictures of two small pee balloons sitting on Santa's lap. I look over at the potato and go, add pee to some suds and we get you. Things get dumb. One corporal beats a sofa cushion off screen and goes, where be the guns being at? Our hero's gun gets stolen from his holster by a 12-year-old. His sergeant's all, hey, you sheney, go get your piece, brocky back from the barrack buster. Do you know what I mean, like? <laughs> Our hero's all, come on, Larry. Help, come help me, you bandjacks, Muppet gal you yeah, about as useful as a carry man with a hurley bird. Larry's all. Yikes, the profanity. Coming. Oi, me headshot. Our hero's all. Booty fook. Well, I found me gun at least. Oi, you monica shaft, to give me it back afore I come on to fuck ye. He gets chased. <laughs> Luckily, Irish people never look around corners. So he brains one of them, but then forgets to kill him. Night falls, or as Irish people say, Night no, fucking falls, you fucking swords. A bunch of kids rampage down the street with pig's heads on stick, shouting, Ugly Catholics, fucking Irish, bloody Sundays. The last kid's all, Ah, that scaffy witch so me a gammy spell. I be taking the alley. He rounds the corner and sees the soldier. The soldier's all, Ugh! The kid's all, oh, the British soldier's planning on braining with the shillelagh. Come on, I'll take it in the uncle's bar. Should be a real blast. It's right through this wood. Come on, you bono. The soldier's all, ooh. The kid's all, oh, wait, hang on. It's three queer shams worshipping a trash can. Oi, you Pokemon's got any blarney stones. Me lips could use a person. With an apostrophe, no, person. P.O. One bum's all, the girl, what are you, 12 or something? Oh. The kid's all, oh, you know who my uncle is? You seen what he can do with a knife to a bar of Irish spring? The bums all, oh, didn't mean to boog you. Saints be willikers. Eventually, conversation becomes less interesting, and the kid leads the soldier to a bar. Some dude takes the soldier's dog tags and scowls threateningly, so the soldier goes outside to stand in the street and hope he's invisible. The kid's all, oh, look, I'm drinking two beers at once, one for each arm I have. Uh, The bomb.
1: I mean oh.
3: What, too soon? Come on, what? I'm just trying to lighten it up. Just trying to lighten the mood, Tom.
1: Oh, I understand. A little levity. Fair enough. It's a grim That's... scene.
3: I know. What can you do? That's just how I treat death, Tom.
1: Sure. More galaxy, humor. Space. I appreciate it. Yeah.
3: The soldier's all <sighs> He carries the kid's body into a car that shows up, then wanders to a corner and takes a nap. <laughs> Another car drives up with another dude and a lady who's his daughter, sister, or wife. They carry him to a bed with a room around it. The man's all, damn a soldier. Ye stay here and I'll get McQuindled. The lady's all, Bailey on a cheeky, bousy. Which one's McQuindling, the boy with the mustache or the Bullock's Brasseter with the cake mouth? The guy's all, I not Just stay here and make sure you take away all his weapons except his noof." <laughs> um sad this one's so short meanwhile another place a mom's all hello donald has college i heard you bastard great ma what's that gun shape in your pocket just happy to see you ma and that knife behind your back just me textbook okay what you putting in the floorboards uh james joyce oh look here's your straw dog Want to pet him? Gosh, I hope that young lad Walworth Davis down the way and that Jennifer Aniston last make a movie together someday. It should be amazing cinema. Everybody dies except the soldier and some other characters.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I paid attention. For almost getting strangled, he's given a green heart. His lieutenant's all, oh, what a confusing night, eh, Private? The soldier's all, yes, sir. Lieutenant, how dare you? Dismissed. <laughs> the soldier goes to a lake, throws his earplugs in, then takes a bus to an apartment with a kid in it. Knocks till an old man, <laughs> begrudgingly opens his <the> door, and <laughs> takes the kid to a place. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> the kid's all, "Duh, will the guiad? <laughs> I can't do this. Fuck this podcast. Try harder. Try harder, wand." Batman died. By the way, I met someone else who thought that, so I'm right. <laughs> Batman died in The Dark Knight Rises. He died in all of them. The kids all, Da, will the G-eyed horse's hoof be halt-pressed? The soldiers all, Quit being such a gob dawn. and me that ya. Some words are all based on stuff Kelly just said. The end. I ran out of time. <laughs> Sorry. Long weekend. <laughs> not, the, not the movie, The Long Weekend. It's so stupid. <laughs> Sorry. I'll give you a better one next week. No, no,
1: Kelly Wand, I enjoyed it.
3: You I, did a I,
2: fine job. I, I did not envy your job going into this. Uh, I but you, you rarely disappoint when it comes to difficult movies to synopsize.
3: Well done.
1: I try to rise to the occasion. I will say, however, Kelly Wand, uh, I think your Irish accent is not as good as your Asian accent. Yeah. Nice to see you. Oh, and your Teutonic is, is, yeah. Yeah, is sublime. Yeah, I that do my Teutonic, was my Teutonic, Is my Schwarzenegger uh, okay, I, I equate them, but, but fair enough. It's, uh,
3: equate? Nerd.
1: Sch- Schwarzenegger pretty... is Teutonic, I would call him. Yeah. Or Three-tonic. Teutonic! So obviously, I can't that- use big words around you guys. Fair enough, sorry. Didn't mean to confuse you. Teutonic, that's a big word. Teutonic, a nationality in some video game I play. I'll try to avoid Gaelic as well. That'll confuse yeah. you guys, too. Yeah. yeah, I like dudes. All right, like Kelly this- Wand... You go Please. first. Uh what? you uh, okay, I'm sorry. I mean Dingus, you go first. Ding, what did you think of uh apostrophe 71 Dingus?
2: Oh, I'm crazy about this movie. Of course, I think it's 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 awesome. Um, and and doing the over under was super difficult because of that reason. Because I really I I love your idea of bracketing, and it was a, it was a lot of fun to look at a couple of their movies uh, and try to figure out how would I bracket this movie and and what and what theme would I choose, uh, because I I just think that this movie has such a great uh, a great pace to it and it's just it's so well put together. I'm crazy about this.
1: Okay. Kelly Wand, uh, is Dingus being a little bit too effusive with his praise? No, he's awesome.
3: The movie sucks. No, wait. It's the other way around. <laughs> no, wait. They're both good. I like both of them. Mm-hmm. I like the movie and Dingus equally. Well, the movie's pretty good. The movie's better than Dingus probably a little mm-hmm. bit. I give Dingus a 91 and the movie a 98. Wow. I think have it wrong. It's a great movie. It was really harrowing, and and it was a huge bummer. And I remember when I saw – what's the Clint Eastwood, Japanese, Flags of Our Fathers, Sands of Iwo Jima? Letters from Iwo Jima. Thank you, Tom. Um, I remember when I got – I left that – as I was leaving the theater, a woman went – an old woman went, what a waste. And I thought, she just didn't get it. Like, that movie's pretty – and I but they actually, I kind of think she was right. Like, it's just kind of a sad, like, why is everybody killing each other? Kind of movie. As far no, as Flags of Our
1: Fathers, you mean, or 71, or both?
3: Uh, Letters from Jima more than Plagues of Our Fathers, and 71 also. Like, I just, I don't know enough about Ireland. Like you said before, that's true. I'm an ignoramus, but I just don't understand why it, it's such a, it, to quote Marge Gunderson, it's such a lovely day out. I don't understand why you guys got to put each other in wood chippers and keep blowing shit up. What's with the fucking bombs? I don't understand like why the IRA – like who they're even mad at. Right. That's how stupid I am.
1: There's a great scene in 71. Uh, one of the um, – I don't know about problems, but one of the things that is can be a challenge in 71 uh, is catching some of uh, – Gregory Burke's writing. So Gregory Burke is the, the guy who right. wrote the script. He's a playwright, um, and he actually became a playwright. He didn't. He doesn't. Uh, he, he apparently doesn't have any particular affection for theater. It's just a lot of his writing is dialogue. Um, and seventy-one, I think, is his first feature film. Uh, and so, because the accents in this are so strong, and because a lot of the storytelling is nonverbal, uh, There's not a lot of opportunity for some of Gregory Burke's dialogue in here, but there's there's a couple of really awesome bits of dialogue, and one of them that I really like, um, it's the it's the typical scene we've seen it a million times of the occupying soldier uh, being tended by a woman who lives there, Mm -hmm. and you know they they flirt and there's this idea that maybe she would have a relationship with him in any other context, um, and she finds out he's not so terrible, and he you know it's that typical scene, but it's only a few lines. The, The the character's name is Bridget. Gary Hook, the lost soldier. She's tending him, uh, and she asks him where he's from, and he says he's from Derbyshire, and she says, "Oh, I've got a couple of cousins that live in Nottingham." And responding to a look on his face, she says, "What?" And he says, "Oh, well, uh, so he says something like, you know, well, we don't Derbyshire and Nottingham don't get along very well." <laughs> and, and, it's Robin Hood, and she says, "Why?" And he just says, "I, I, I don't know," and that's it. That's the extent of the exchange. Um, right. but I think it's a great observation. I think it's something, you know, uh, I don't think Gregory Burke just put that little exchange in there because it was cute and he needed to fill dialogue for a meet cute. Um, I think it's just an observation about how sometimes people hate each other and it's not really clear why and the reason why is lost to us, uh, yeah. and they just hate each other. Uh, and I think it's kind of the movie in a way. It's, it's a microcosm of what the movie is getting at, it's just this situation where people hate each other. And they don't really know why. Uh, Now there are reasons why, and I think anybody who's really uh, who really knows a lot about the troubles and has followed the political developments and can unravel the different factions, this movie would be fascinating to them. uh, Partly because it's not a polemic. You know, this movie is uh, is very presentational. It's not trying to be judgmental. There's no real political side that it takes. Um, But furthermore, and this is part of the genius of Seventy One, which I also love. I don't think you need to know any of that stuff, Kelly. Wand. Like I think, from no, your I perspective, know. seventy-one is still a really tight, um, really compelling thriller. Where even if you don't know about the whys and wherefores behind each of the faction, and by golly, there are a bunch of factions in this movie, which is one mm-hmm. of the reasons I love it. Uh, even if you don't know the agendas and the, the rationale behind each of the factions, I still think it works wonderfully. Um, so I, I agree. Yeah, and I, I don't think like you can look at. Um, you know, like, like well, I, you know, there, there are Game some movies Thrones. that do that better than others, uh, as far as like having all the, as far as like being political thrillers. Uh, and I think as far as being a thriller with a lot of political baggage behind it, uh, 71 doesn't suffer for how complicated the situation is. No, it doesn't. I didn't actually, di- I did, there was a lot I didn't understand, but I can just, I
3: know good writing when I see it and hear it, and I could tell, like, this guy knew what he was doing, and, like, the action was really, like, psyching me out, and, like, everything about this movie is great. I love the acting and the writing, and just everything. I love the wrap up. It's all great. I have nothing bad to say about it. But I do, I do wonder, though, like, do you know, like, is it religious or political? <laughs>
1: I'm just curious. It's, it's mainly it's so. It, to do. Yeah, the, the, the situation with, with Northern Ireland is, um, it's often characterized by the difference between uh the irish the, the the unionists the people who want to uh be part of the uk being protestant and the nationalists the people who want a separate irish independence uh right. being catholic however and i love that this is the way the movie portrays it um you know in the 20th century certainly in america more so but also in europe uh like religion is is almost more of a, of an affiliation you're born into than something you feel. It's not quite like the situation a lot of times with say the Sunnis and the Shias in the Muslim world. Uh, so I think the Protestant Catholic divide in uh, in Ireland and I'm just I'm just guessing. I don't know for sure, but I think it's more uh like the the community you're born into and that you live with, right. more than any doctrinal belief. Like I don't think. That- yeah, so I, so I think like the religion is a foundation for it, but I don't think the religious. I don't. I don't think it's it's a matter of like fanatic belief. Like, I think a lot of the people involved, and this is how the movie portrays it, uh, couldn't care less about the particular doctrines of whether they're Protestant or Catholic. I was going to say, uh, that
3: book that I sent you, Virtues of War, about Alexander the Great, it's like, there's a bunch of like, okay, they're Macedonians, and they, and Alexander, like, loves, he's like super into his people, and he loves his opponents too. He's just like, oh, I love how valorous they are against us. I can't wait to make them part of my empire. You guys are awesome. I, I love you guys. Here's some gifts. Like, he's a super, like, uh, gracious victor, and he never loses a battle. It's like, he doesn't need to be, but he just loves, You know, his enemies and his friends and he's like super into and then it's like, there's this thing about like, they have this assassination, like, all his generals are like kind of scheming against each other. And it's just part of their culture. And it makes me kind of think like Irish, like this whole thing. They should be getting along, but they keep picking. They make like bombs seem to be an IRA thing.
1: Well, it really is. I mean, just the question of whether or not it's religious, I think it's kind of different. I mean, there there are legitimate differences, and it really is just a separatist movement. It really is about like uh, right, it's true hatred, like fuck you guys, like those kids aren't making it up. Right, and 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 I think it's more sort of in answer to your earlier question. I think it's less religious and more nationalism. Uh, okay, and I think that's true of pretty much of, of most. I was going to say it's two of most wars. I don't know that I want to delve into that, but in this situation, I think it's less religion. Religion is a foundation for it, but it more comes down to Irish na- Irish nationalism. Uh, you know, Northern Ireland, the, the country was split in two back in the I 20s, and and the southern part, the the, the main part of Ireland with capitalist Dublin, that became its own republic. They were like, you know what, we're we're uh, we're not part of the UK anymore. We're going to be our own country, and that went over well. But in Northern Ireland, there were a minority of people who wanted to be part of of London, of, of, of the U.K. still. So I wasn't totally crazy on that. Pardon?
3: Well, just like the English-Irish thing is weird, like the thing you said about Nottingham. You know, right. Like there is some undercurrent.
1: But then there were – right, right. And there still were some are. people, though, in, in Northern Ireland who wanted to be a free, separate country. Some people wanted to still be part of the U.K., uh, and in Northern Ireland, that is the hot button issue, is, and this is what the IRA, you know, the Irish Republican Army, they want to be a separate republic. They don't want to be part of the UK. The Unionists, who are Protestants, they want union with the UK. Uh, and the movie shows that, like the kid in it takes him to the pub. He is part of a faction in the town that believes, you know, we should be part of the UK. We're friendly to these soldiers. Um, you know, they are us. They are well, but not so much. They are us, and I love no, you too. No, it's not they are us. us. we want to be with them. You know, we want to be part of them. Because one of the great, another bit of great dialogue that I think can get lost if if you don't hear the accent very well. Uh, so I this, saw this in theaters when I watched the DVD of it that we have here. Uh, I turned on the the subtitles, uh, which really helps because there's some great dialogue that the kid mm-hmm. has where he's talking about the Brits really suck at fighting. Uh, <laughs> He's like, you know, you guys are rubbish at fighting, and he even brings it back to like World War One. He's like, even in World War One, uh, at the Battle of the Somme, uh, you know, it was the it was only the Irish troops who got to the front lines against the Germans. The Brits were far behind. Uh, and, and there's this great sense of yeah, the Brits are separate. They want to be unions. They want a, a union with, with Britain. They want to be part of the UK, but they still have this idea that the UK is separate and that they're rubbish at fighting. Which I they're think good at naval really stuff though. One of my be- like-
2: favorite bits of dialogue is that little kid, and, and this really dovetails nicely into what you were talking about, whether or not this is religious or not, or whether it's just something you're born into, is when he actually asks Hook, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? Oh, and right. Hook's, H- Hook's response is, I don't know. That's right, yeah. yeah and the yeah, little yeah, kid yeah. says, you don't know, I fucking hurt it all now. I mean, he's like, I, I, you yeah. don't know? It's like you don't know if you were born white or black. It's 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 not a sense of this is what I believe in, but this is what I was born into, so I'm going to fight for it, and I'm going to fight with it, and and I'm I happen to be part of a a faction that wants to be a part of Britain still. But I love That's that that bit of dialogue, like, are you Catholic or Protestant? I don't know. And and he, the kid can't fathom somebody
3: answering like that. I love that so much. Religion is something you're born into too. It seems like if you're born in in an Arabic country, you're Muslim, and if you're born in Utah, you're a Mormon. Like well, was, there's no cross. Well, I
2: don't know. I was born. I was born a, a, and
3: I baptized
2: a Catholic, and then I was, uh, I was too, by, indoctrinated into uh, I was an evangelical funny. household, and I decided not to do it. This is different. This is like an ethnicity. This is a different thing. That kid is talking about. How can you not know what you are? I mean I, I mean that's a wonderful thing, and I think it plays directly into what tom's talking about about whether this is a religious movie or not i mean and I don 't think that what we 're talking about is religion. I think we're talking about something deeper than that
1: so uh what uh, uh how did you, how did you guys feel then about the fact that um, this movie has so many different factions and different people wanting different things at odds with other different people uh it's clearly not a black and white, you know, Brits versus Irish. Um, you know, I think of my – and this is a spoiler, I guess, but my over for this is a movie called Bloody Sunday, mm. uh, which Paul Greengrass directed, mm. where it is clearly there's the British and there's the Irish. Um, you know, it's not being superficial about it. It was just in a situation where it was British troopers versus Irish demonstrators. Uh, this movie takes a much broader look at the different people, the different personalities and agendas uh, how did you guys feel about all of the different agendas that were in play here? Well, I,
2: I for one, really loved it. Um, you know, because you know, Bloody Sunday is available to watch uh, instant right now on Netflix. So if you can watch it, you should. Um, th- this movie does an early thing where uh, where they <laughs> where somebody literally points at a board and says, "This is this, this is this, and that is that." Right. The green means this. The red means that. This is what all this means. Don't go into the flats. Boom. Uh, so it it gives us like a little bit of a of a of sort of an understanding of what's supposed to be going on. But what I love about this movie is that it puts us in the situation of what Hook is going through. Because when he meets that kid, he doesn't know who to trust. He never knows who to trust. When he winds up in the apartment, he doesn't know who to trust or what to do. And we don't know who to trust, and we don't understand the factions and i i like that it kind of puts us in his shoes
1: mm-hmm. uh carry one do you were you okay with this all, all of these different uh, agendas and factions i found it fascinating but
3: also arbitrary but i think like you said that's what that's the movie's case is that it mm-hmm. is sort of arbitrary and you you know it's like that guy doesn't kill the other dude at the end even though he's been assigned to cuz it's like arbitrary. <laughs> i don't i don't know what well, you mean by arbitrary i i totally
0: disagree it's arbitrary
3: that. to them i'm just saying i don't like we're not given those reasons and exposition. We
1: just sort of like this faction. I think we. I think we get an understanding of it, but I would
2: disagree with the word
1: arbitrary. Well, I think where he's going, Dingus, uh, what Kelly Wan's getting towards. You mentioned early on. There's that great little briefing scene where here's the good, here's the bad. Don't go to the deepest right. Flats. And I love that, by the way, as foreshadowing. Part of the movie's genius as well is this very steady progression uh, of geographical locations. It's right. like this descent into hell and the ultimate hell. You know that briefing tells us don't go into the Divis Flats. You know that's an IRA stronghold. Whatever you do, don't go there. And the movie kind of inexorably falls into the Divis yeah, Flats, right. and that's where it unfolds. But um, and that's a British thing to do. Like oh, you know, we got this. Like- well, I, I think to to your point, Kelly what happens is we go from this map where here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. Don't go into the bad guy area. We like these guys. It then goes further into more subdivisions. It's never quite that simple. And that's one of the kind of reveals of the movie as it unfolds. Mm, right. No and there's a little riot even going Even the good guys – right. There's a riot going on between the unionists and, and the yes. separatists and the, and the, uh, the, the Irish – the IRA sympathizers. Um, but, but furthermore, even fr- from the British perspective um, – there are there's the there's the army that uh, Gary Hook that Jack O'Connell's characters with. There is the RUC, which is the uh, short for the Royal Ulster Constabulatory, which is basically the Irish police, uh, who they meet up with, who are the ones who are being so you know, they're basically beating people with truncheons. Uh you know, that's, oh, those
2: guys, those guys like right. the jackbooted thugs guys.
1: Right, exactly. And they're in the, the gray armor uh personnel carrier things. Uh but then – and this is what I, I found these guys fascinating. There's a group called the MRF. And I, had to yeah, I wanted
2: to up. ask you what the MRF was. Really?
1: So that's the, – they're, they're a paramilitary group uh, that the British experimented with. 71 was when they started using them, and they were disbanded eventually in 73 because they were basically found out. But the idea was what if we send in military people in plain clothes, in civilian vehicles um, – because you know Sean Harris, who's an actor I love, and unfortunately we mainly know him from Prometheus. Um, <laughs> Sean Harris, the, the main MRF guy, you'll note he's in civilian clothes, but the lieutenant is constantly having to call him sir. Like, And he, and he pulls rank a few times. Right. Uh, and he's part of this group called the Military Reactionary Force. Uh, right. It was an experimental uh, measure to create a counterinsurgency group against the IRA, to infiltrate the IRA. Um, so that that's what the MRF is. And they were they were short-lived experiment. Uh, it was disbanded. There are other incarnations of it, but they're they're just as military as, as the regular troops. But what we find out uh, is that they have a completely different agenda too. With, uh, for instance, getting the unionists an IRA bomb. You know that's their
0: mm, call. Right.
1: These guys uh, a bomb part. Right. And in the end, of course, when they realize that uh, Gary Hook, Jack O'Connell's character, has seen the bomb. You know, they decide they don't want that to get out. That that's a tactic that they're using. So, one of them tries to kill Hook rather than uh, have him rescued.
2: Well, that's their their agenda is to kill him. I mean,
1: is to kill him, and not yeah. only that, but we see this great moment too. And these are the other factions at play in the IRA. There's this character Boyle, who's like the old school oh, yeah. IRA, and then the leader of this young Turk movement, uh, who oh, yeah. is Jimmy Quinn. Um, you know, in the MRF. Sean Harris's character playing the two of them against each other and right. I love that bit at the end where uh, you know, Boyle says "Will you kill Jimmy Clinton I made a problem with him uh, where Sean Harris's character he kind of knows that the future of the IRA is with this young radical movement uh, he betrays Boyle uh, right. to, to this kid and basically lets the kid go ensuring that the kid will then kill Boyle um, so hope, right? even though it is dingus, it starts out with this black and white here's the good side of the map here's the bad side of the map Part of the progression of the movie is how showing each side has its good and bad, has its sub factions, has its competing agendas. Um, you know, to and me, its own treachery is
3: like so. Yeah, it's that factory,
1: that is- so good guys and bad guys, and to me, a minor miracle of this movie is how I, I think. Easily understandable it is.
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I love how it it even foreshadows that with with the MRF. The one thing I understood was when you know Jack O'Connell asks who are those guys, and and the guy goes, "They're MRF undercutter. They have nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. I mean, that's that kind of sets you off on the right course."
1: And even you know, you know, you see. I, I love the scene too, where uh, Armitage, the lieutenant, with his little staff sergeant guy, goes in to say, "Will you help us?" Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And just the way they react, the way that those those three or four MRF guys treat the uniformed military. Um,
2: right, and you know. I love that. I love that 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 lieutenant. I'll just go ahead and use that. Starts out as the ineffectual, like the the cliched uh, ineffectual lieutenant, and and he. But he's trying. He's really trying. He's not completely incompetent, but th- in that scene, he has that, that moment where y- you, you can just go off and do your thing, and then he has to be spurred on by a sergeant again, but he's not he's not completely lost.
1: Well, and when you think about it too, Dingus, he's the one who ultimately saves Hook.
2: Exactly, uh, exactly.
1: But he's also the one who kills uh, the young IRA kid.
2: Yeah, Sean. Oh, man, that, also- I, I fucking hated that moment so much.
1: Yeah. So yeah, for all the for all the various agendas, it's it's never quite that simple as good and evil. And even what what Sean Harris's character is doing, you know, makes perfect sense as far as infiltrating the IRA, as far as cultivating new informants, um, you know, the right way to run a counterinsurgency movement. He's doing exactly what you're supposed to do.
0: Right, right, right,
3: right. Yeah, that Sean kid, like that's an example of like why this movie's good because like for the whole. For most of the movie, like, he's the one with the dead eyes
1: and, like... The well, one yeah, you're, you're expect, kind of... It's almost you know? being set up like he's going to be the guy who's the ruthless right. killer. Right, right, right. And, and he's, he's young. like... You're like right. Actually, when no. I think of it, is he the one that shoots the first soldier?
2: No, no. It's the other guy. And Jimmy. I think that's when right. you're, you're saying... Yeah, it's Jimmy. Okay. Jimmy shoots the, the first soldier when oh, yeah. uh,
1: they're separated from the unit. Okay. Right.
2: Yeah. Sean goes off to get him. I'm not, I'm, I don't know who you're talking about when you say Sean Harris. That's the actor who plays...
1: Oh, yeah, so Sean Harris is the actor who plays um, – as a matter of fact, I don't think he has a name in the movie uh, – the leader of the MRF. He's got this really – Oh, uh, with that Peter really Taylor kind of hair. Oh, all the hair in this is awesome. But yeah, he's got a really distinctive face. He plays one of the scientists in Prometheus. Um, but if you've ever seen a British series called Red Riding, uh, he's got some amazing – he does some amazing stuff in Red Riding. Uh, what else has he been in? Uh, Oh, he's in a really good horror movie, Kelly Wan, that you should see called Isolation. Have you seen that by any chance? No. Isolation is basically alien set on a dairy farm in Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, is it Isolation E-I-S? Like that? Uh no no it's spelled like the American version yeah it's spelled like American yeah. isolation but Sean Harris is in that
2: uh, all right so the guy so the guy I'm thinking of is his name is Martin McCann he's one of the guys I mentioned at the beginning he's the real severe looking one who uh who he walks up with Sean and uh, and he's the one who shoots the first soldier
1: and uh, he, he's playing uh, he's playing Jimmy Quinn he's playing the leader of the Young Turks who yeah. has the, the showdown with Boyle it's, Boyle it's, says I can't protect you. Right,
2: right. Right. You know, and you know what that means. And that scene in that pub is awesome. That, l- that little scene, uh, you know what that means. Right. I, I love that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dingus, you you mentioned uh, uh, Richard Dormer. Uh, so Richard Dormer plays a character named Eamon. Eamon, uh, who is former military. You find out he's a medic. Uh, he and his daughter stumble across Jack O'Connell's character. Uh, they bring him in, um, and they later they, they actually turn him over to the IRA. Right. Uh, and so, Dingus, like, he he stood out for you, like, when, when that uh, that actor came on screen?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know what else I've seen him in. I guess you guys have said he was in Game of Thrones.
1: You could have easily, if you blink, you miss him. He's in, like, one episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, he was season three. He was actually a replacement for another actor. Um no, I, I was uh, what I loved yeah, about him is that he was
2: is that scene when when Hannah's daughter they're not getting enough car when they walk up and they find when they find Hook and he puts his you know fingers up to his neck and and his daughter says we have to leave him and he says I can't. And you know and then you find out he's a medic. Yeah. Um I I mean I just I, I love that guy and he carries off that father role so well. Uh it, that whole that whole sequence where where she is When she's kneeling on Hook's chest, um, and and that guy is doing that surgery, he's just just got the right weight. He's got the right right gravitas to be a father in that situation, taking care of a soldier in the field, whoever that soldier is. Um, So, yeah, that guy immediately resonated with me. I enjoyed what he's from.
1: Yeah, so two things. He's in – Kelly Wand, he was in Game of Thrones Season 3 where he's that group who – like there's a splinter group that worships the Lord of Light or whatever – and, and they live in a cave. Um, you know, oh, you Oh, ha, Oh, haha, you know it. But he's wearing an eye patch in Game of Thrones. In oh. All right. Uh, but he's mainly from. The and, of Mir. And damn it, you guys should see this. There's this amazing series. It's just like, what, 10 episodes? Uh, that was on the Sky Network um, that, that ran here in the U.S. You can get it on DVD. It's, you can uh, stream it through Amazon. Uh, a TV series called Fortitude. Uh, and he's, oh, he's holy big, fuck. All right. So he's a, he's an Irish actor, but in Fortitude he plays – a. I think he's affecting a Norwegian accent, which is great to hear because, man, I love that guy's voice. He's got an amazing voice. Um, right. But Fortitude uh, – and this isn't really a spoiler, but basically Fortitude over the course of the series, what you find out is that it's all about him. Like he's one of these ensemble characters, but the point of this series is all about coming to you know, this character's relevance to various events. Um and he's amazing in, in Right, You just
2: snapped it into focus for me, thank you.
1: So two things that this so another thing this brings up too, uh, you know, we've all seen the scene where the occupying soldier talks to the girl in the native country and they come to an understanding and maybe flirt with each other and you other uh-huh. the cut does a romance. So we have that scene in seventy one. Uh there are two other scenes in seventy one that we've we've all seen before, but that I feel um were shot in such a way uh, that, that was really raw and gritty, and gave them this this fresh sense of impact. One of the scenes, which Dingus just explained, is you know the the medic sewing up the wounded soldier. Uh, so here, that scene, you know, he's 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 literally screaming, and the woman <laughs> has to like kneel on his chest to hold him down. It's just so grueling that scene. Um, it
2: really and, is grueling. It's just that she's putting her full weight on him to hold him down.
1: Yeah, and at one point, the, uh, you know, the rag that he's biting on slips out of his mouth and he's just going, no, 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 no. She's you know, like, fucking stop this. Uh, which isn't what you have your heroic, grim action hero do in a scene right. like that. I love that. Um, and so the other scene that we've all seen before, but which I feel has a, the fresh impact here, is, you know, the unexpected bomb explosion. Mm. Um, so, uh, uh, I, I still jump when I see that. Like it's so sudden, mm-hmm. and you know, and even in a movie like, you know, like Children of Men has a great unexpected bomb go off. Yeah, we we've been trained where we kind of see how a shot like that is getting set up. Um, uh, well, and this one is set up too.
2: I didn't see it coming.
1: Well, set up. I thought, the, that, I thought that kid
2: was going to stay with us. I did not see that coming.
1: But set up in the sense that, uh, yeah, this you is set up careful. in the sense that you see the bomb and right, right. explain it what I'm talking about is when you see a movie where somebody's car is going to explode, and it's shot in such a way that you can kind of say, oh, the car is going to explode in the background. I know Scott this box. is coming. Um, so I didn't – yeah. This is shot in such a way, and it's partly because of how it's shot. Uh, I imagine there's a lot of digital stuff here. But man, that that pub explosion was just an amazing sequence. Yeah.
2: I, 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 the thing is, I, I watched this um, – and I couldn't get to sleep after watching it. it was in the, and one of the reasons is the senior just talking about Tom, like, it was so upsetting to me because that kid was so he was my favorite character, and I was like I, I will go into any pub with this kid, and he's got just he's just such a great character. And then that's it. Oh my god, it was it, the movie totally surprised me with that, and I had to go back and look at it again to understand. Oh, they're putting the bomb in the bag, and the guy's with the the tackle box, and he's a little ham. -ham, You know, he's kind of messing with it. I, I had no idea that was going to happen.
0: Right. Oh
2: God, I, I I, even now it's it makes my pulse race a little bit. I mean, it's really really upsetting, except especially when you see how gruesome uh, and just flat out honest they are with the way the kid looks at the end.
1: Well yeah, that's the thing about uh in movies you don't really see. Like an explosion knocks people's limbs off. I mean the, the your yeah. your extremities tend to when you're hit with these waves of force, like in a plane wreck or whatever, your your limbs tend to get sheared off and movies don't really show you that.
3: Uh and the look on the kid's face too isn't the standard movie dead kid like, just, just shut eyes,
1: and like... Well, they say, they actually say he's still breathing when they take him, which makes it even more gruesome. Yeah, you know? Like, so there's no way he's gonna live. I mean, that's right. just, uh...
2: And is that his like, mother who comes? Do we know?
1: No, no, no. It's just, oh, good lord, no. I I think it's just, I don't think it's that bad. I just think it's a bystander. Like, you know, you hear right. a bomb, and then the first responders come, and okay. somebody's wounded. Like, they just throw him in a car, and they're gonna take him to the hospital. Um... But yeah, but so yeah, the, the fact that he's, that he's not even dead, supposedly,
2: uh... That just knocked me low. It yeah. really knocked me low. And it, even thinking about – my mind started spooling forward, thinking, well, if he survives, what's his life going to be like going forward? What, and, and the way he was just – he was just so self-assured, such so as great – it was just yeah. a great character, a really great character. He gets that first beer. He demands a beer for Hook. and He throws his own beer away. Then they both get beer. I mean, I love the way that – I love that character. It's one of my favorite characters.
1: Yeah. He is great. great. Um, God. Damn. Yes, Gary what go
3: ahead. Well, just there was a kid – There's a lot of kids die in the uh, Master and Commander books, but there was like one kid who's like, yeah, you always want to chew tobacco right before you, a battle starts. And then like right before he says that in the battle, like he – and I remember thinking, that kid reminds me of that kid. And then in the book, like he gets just like torn in half two minutes after saying that. It's just like – I don't know. It's sad. Uh,
1: one of the things I really also liked about the way that scene was, uh, unfolded with the explosion, um, one of the, I, I think, stars of this movie is the, uh, c- cinematography and the handheld camera yeah. work. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Paul Greengrass does a lot of handheld camera work. Bloody Sunday looks very much like it, it, it capitalizes on this sort of documentary footage style. Um, this isn't quite that. Uh, it's a lot of handheld work. But it's not trying to mimic a sort of a documentary footage style. It's much more of, I imagine, convenience, but also just a way to create a state of mind. The the frantic chase scene. uh, And one of the things that I just love about the bomb scene, and I think you could see it and not even realize this is what's happening. uh, When the bomb goes off, the camera is knocked back and falls to the ground. And it lies there for a moment stunned along with jack o'connell's character and then it finally gets up and resumes filming as if the camera yeah as if the camera was also one of the characters affected by the blast uh and I just love – Like her. a long
3: time, and he's on the ground for a few seconds. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, yeah. like with yeah. us. Going, what? Ugh. And it's it is sort of like like it's not a cut. Like It's like one continuous take of him in the pub stepping out, the bomb going off, knocking the camera back and down to the ground. The camera gets up. It follows him around as he stumbles back in. Uh, you see the kid in the background talking. Right, right. And it's a, I imagine a lot of that is some great CG, but it's, yeah. it's a virtuoso bit of camera work, I feel. Uh, yeah. And also the cinematography, man, I love the look of this. I mean, I, you know that that grainy sort of stock, which is part of the the way that it looks like a period piece. The flared lighting, um, you know, it looks very like filmy. And, and instead of like digital video, uh, I just think it's, it's a beautiful movie. And the, the sets, the costumes. I think as you mentioned, Sean Harris's hair, but everybody's hair in this. Uh, uh, just a great looking period piece I thought you 're not
2: kidding about the sets or whatever the locations they were using because when they 're at the in what I can only describe as the projects, and somebody's looking across over to uh, another you know trying to figure out which door they 're going into or who's walking across from the apartment or going up the stairs or down the stairs uh or even that that final or that area they go into and that that little area where they have the final showdown. Mm-hmm. Um th- this is looked it looks completely correct. It looks beautiful. Yeah. But but you're right. It looks grainy and beautiful. It doesn't look sharp and it shouldn't. Yeah.
3: Um I was going to say about that other scene you mentioned, the doctor scene, mm-hmm. like not only okay, everything you said's true, and but also it's like the doctor to distract him is like, okay, this is gonna hurt like a bitch. Oh, I love and that. Yeah, it, yeah. It. I'm not gonna lie to you. This is gonna, like, fuck. That
2: yeah, I love that. I love that line. I'm not gonna lie to you. This is.
3: Yeah, it's awesome. And he goes. By the way, the army doesn't care about you. Like, just gives him this kind of lecture. Oh yeah, when about, he
2: tells like, him you're just a piece yeah. of meat. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. lie. They don't care about you. You're just it's, a piece uh, of meat. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like
1: well, that's, that's something a, I don't think. I'm and that's a great bit of that character because you think too there mm-hmm. are. There were Catholics, you know. There were people who were sympathetic to the Republican cause in Ireland, who wanted to be independent, who had been in the military fighting for the British. You right. know, and this yeah. is a guy is that he, he's clearly living in this town uh, amongst the people who who want independence from uh, from Britain, uh, who hate the British, who had fought alongside the British, and he was one of them. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, and it also has an understanding of what their family, what family means. I mean, that not everybody in a family is going to agree. And when she, when uh, I forget her name, Bridget,
0: Bridget, yeah,
2: yeah, when she just says, "There's a soldier in my bedroom," and it turns out she's not there, the father immediately comforts her. He doesn't agree with, with what she's done necessarily, but, but their family. And I, I love that this movie seems to understand that there's that the. the The battle lines kind of fluctuate based on certain relationships.
1: And did you guys catch the line about – I I can say this when British people talk about it. Did you catch his uh, cunts line? Because Again, I think without subtitles, uh, there's a great bit, and this is some of the the great dialogue, where he explains that the army is – and I'll quote this, but I'm quoting. Keep in mind, the army is posh cunts telling thick cunts to kill poor cunts. (laughs) <laughs> That's, That's a great true. line. Yeah, yeah, it is.
2: Right. <laughs> there's a there's a cunt line later on in the movie that I thought you were talking about.
1: Okay. What was the one later on?
2: Uh, I said, "Open the fucking door!" You horrible cunt. Dingus,
1: dang dingus, That's out of line. That's way out of line.
2: Uh, By yeah, the way, did, uh, did him throwing the dog tags off of the ship into what Kelly calls a pond or something uh, <laughs> remind you of anything?
1: Titanic. What? Ew. What? Oh, is that not what you were thinking of, Dingus? No, it's Top Gun. Dirty
3: Harry.
1: Oh. Top Gun. Oh, I, I'll stick with my t- Titanic. Here. Yeah, I know. Sure. Wait,
3: Dingus laughed at
1: you for that. Yeah, Ding- is re- yeah, his rejoinder is Top Gun instead of Titanic. All I'm right. talking about a, movie about a ship. You Nobody did. throws uh, dog
2: tags off of Titanic, to- uh, but Tom Cruise throws dog tags off of the ship in Top Gun.
1: Because he's sick of the Air Force.
2: No, he's throwing gooses uh,
3: uh,
1: oh, oh, like oh,
3: off I see. the ship.
2: No, he's
1: dumb, too. How could I forget that iconic scene? It
3: reminded me of Super 8 when he throws his mom's locket onto the spaceship.
1: Uh, well, let's talk about <laughs> Jack <is> awesome. O'Connell. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, what Ron, Dingus I. and I are, became huge Jack O'Connell fans. And this guy, by the way, I, this guy's star-powered to me is amazing. I, I can't yeah. see where he goes. Uh, Dingus and I were on board with him. With this awesome movie called The Liability, where he is holding his own admirably opposite Tim Roth, which is no mean feat. Um, Kelly Wand, ha- had you been a Jack O'Connell fan before this? What do you know him from? King Kong? Is that him? He's in King Kong?
3: Alright, I got him mixed up with the. You think uh, he's uh, uh, of Jamie God. Bell? Jesus. Wait. Jack O'Connell? I don't know. I don't think I know him from anything. Okay. I know him from 71.
2: What I love about him in, in Liability is that he's playing somebody who's dumber than he is.
1: Yeah, yeah Liability is very much a uh, sort of a comedic role. Uh, That's what I do, too. Well, Kelly, you saw him in uh, he has a small part in 300 <laughs> Rise of an Empire. Um, As who? So, Callan Mulvey, I think Stop is his name. Mulvey. He's the son of one of... Uh, Themistocles' right-hand man who wants to join the army, uh, who earns his place at the table. That's the pivotal moment in the movie. Uh, he paints his face with a skull makeup thing when his father dies. Not coming back to you. It's a, it's a pretty thankless part in in Rise of an Empire, uh, but he's in that. Um, and I think a lot a lot of folks might know him from the Angelina Jolie movie Unbroken, which is pretty uh, unremarkable. But he's oh, he's still, the main dude in that? He's the main dude in Unbroken. Um, uh, hey, you call he's it so fucking That's good at right. this, damn. I he's think kidding. Unbroken is unremarkable, and doesn't give him much – I mean, it, I, I don't know. I, did, it, I thought it was very underwhelming, but he's – I don't think there's a frame of that movie that doesn't have him in it. Um, is, is 71 a biopic? Like, is Hook a real dude? No, no. Okay. Traumatization, yeah. Uh, he's so good at anything, but it's also like it, – it's. I think part of what's good is it's a really physical performance and not just physical in terms of him being exhausted and demanding, but it's all in his face. Like it, it's kind of minimal right. dialogue. It's, it's a very, uh, yeah, just very physical performance, uh, and it has a lot to do with like, screen presence and, and, and being able to read what he's thinking and feeling just from his expressiveness. Yeah, he's so
2: good at this. I agree. That that moment when he stabs the guy,
0: oh yeah, that, when yeah, when he
2: takes him down to the ground and and his physical reaction to that, where, he, where he's about to cry, um, you know, because I'm sitting here watching it and thinking, you know, yeah, this guy got his, oh, and, he's kind of
3: holding the guy. He's he yeah. it, it,
2: he's overwhelmed by what has just happened and what is happening to him overall. Or well, that whole sequence where he's just sitting in the in that in that uh, latrine uh in the neighborhood that nobody needs to use all day apparently. Um and just breaking down. Uh but those two moments I and mean, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's an extremely physical performance. But those two the moments the balloons. those two moments really knocked me out.
1: And that is another scene we've seen in other movies. You know, the 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 hero's first kill. You know, he kills someone who feels bad about it, whatever. Right. Uh, but that is amazing in this and you're like, yeah, stab that guy and get past him and, and then mm. when it actually happens, you're like, ooh, oh, okay. I don't feel this rah-rah about this all of a sudden. It's uh, also
3: like after the pub explosion, you're like, oh, okay, so kids aren't safe in this movie. And so then when he goes in and sees the little girl and he has the knife, you you kind of feel a, cer- a certain sense of dread, like, uh, oh, is this gonna go bad? Well, I
2: expected him to die. I, I I didn't think he was safe. I honestly didn't. I didn't think that
1: uh the hook's
2: character safe. was safe.
1: Uh let, let's talk about the uh the two the ending scenes. So it you know, it ends with uh, one of the final scenes is him in the uh, commanding officer's headquarter or office or whatever, and you find out, yeah, this is just going to get swept under the rug. Quote, right. it's a complicated situation. Actions. Uh, but then the movie doesn't end there. There are two more scenes. How did you guys feel about those? Do
0: you I know saw what I'm that as part about, of this? Way.
1: Uh He goes home. Okay, yeah, yeah. So how did you feel? Well,
3: about you? saw that as part of what, Kelly? I loved it. Because I wanted him to just – I wanted to make sure – after the army scene, I wanted him to at least have one moment of happiness because he's had a really tough time throughout the movie. And I think it was also part of his just breaking up with the life, the military life,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and becoming a civilian again, Okay. which I don't know if you can do uh in Britain in 71. But I got that sense. Um And I saw it as a, as a framing device for the beginning of the movie. Where with the
1: Right, kid. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that what Well uh, I, I sort of wondered, you know, why I mean I think you're right. It hadn't occurred to me, but I think you're right that it is like a framing device. Is, you know, it opens him in training basically. It's got that before before we see anything we hear the grunting of the boxing and the slapping of the gloves on flesh. Um, but then from training we cut to when he knows he's gonna be deployed. Him and, and I love that it never explains it. Like when you first watch it, you're like, Is that his son? Is that his...
2: Yeah, brother? yeah. I thought he was a, just like a big brother. I thought it, not big brother as in literal the big brother, but he understands the foster care system and he's looking after this particular kid. Well, I, th- I didn't understand that he was an actual at that and it's innocence it.
3: for both of them. He's happy
1: and that it doesn't need exposition. We just see that he's yeah. got this connection to this kid, and I'm assuming he's it was a brother. And it makes me wonder. You know, I guess Stingus that was like a foster. Like I was wondering too. What is the situation there? Is it the idea that they're both brothers that were brought up in foster care? Where are their parents? Yeah. And they don't tell us that. and That's okay. We, we don't need to that's know fine. it. We just know that he's got someone at home that he cares about. Uh, and so Kelly one from the bookend perspective, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's great that we see them. But what do you make of the uh, – I, and he also needs a kid to save, and like after what he's been
3: through with.
2: Sean no, I French, think he just needs comfort. Comfort. I think he, I think he collapses in, to, to take it to that kid. I mean, it's it's a beautiful scene that like let you you fucking let me in here, and and then he gets. He gets that kid out, and they just – Oh, that's the right. other front line you're talking right, right. About. And That's when he says you're a horrible cunt, open the door. Yeah, I said open the fucking right. door, oh, you're right. a horrible cunt. And he goes in – because the kid's been really worried at the beginning. The kid's super worried that he's that he's leaving. And this is one of the things – oh, I forgot to talk about this. Is He's, he's like – they say it a couple times. I'm not leaving the country. Right, and right. then they show him on a boat, <laughs> yeah. um, which I think is a wonderful juxtaposition. You're not leaving the country. You're just being posted to this other place that you have to go by boat to get to.
1: <laughs> well, the idea that it's still part of the UK.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But I love the juxtaposition of that. It's like yeah. if, if you're going to leave the United States, we're generally not going to get a boat uh, – or if you're going to stay in the United States, we're generally not going to get on a boat and go across an ocean to get to another part of the United States other than Hawaii, you know?
1: Um. yeah. Uh, though I, I think, yeah. So it, what I was sort of getting at is why shoot that weird scene where he's frustrated – at, at being let in. Oh. Like, that's kind of, that, that struck me as kind of odd the first time I saw it. I was like, why, well, you know, he's been through all this. Why are we going to show him losing his cool at the guy not getting to the door quick enough? Uh,
2: because I think he's desperate. And, you know, that was set up earlier on where the guy says, Your kids have to be here by 5 p.m. And they've been playing all late into the night. So they, they clearly have some sort of a relationship that's already.
1: Well, and he even says – and you're right, because the guy, Manning the Door, even says you of all people should know that. Right. I think the implication being maybe he came up through the same foster care as well.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, I just think he can't wait to to get back to, to this kid that has been worried about him, and, and I, I think the implication is there that, that that his younger brother, whether it's by blood or by foster or whatever it is, knows that – I think that there's a story that's been told that, that – has been promulgated throughout Britain that this this soldier has been lost, and that kid needs to see his brother. And oh, he I
1: disagree because it's kid. one night. Like that's one of the things I love about this movie, Dingus and Kelly. Wand, you're I know you're with me on this. This movie takes place once yeah. they get there. It's all one night, and then it's yeah. resolved. Uh, yeah. Okay, I, I, Chad, I think, but i don't think he gets back that same night i think that no i a- know right right but but we get i mean i think what what we find out in that headquarters office is it's all going to be swept under the rug you know a soldier right. was killed yeah. you know that of course is going to get out and the system's good. fucked him over before yeah but, but i don't think it's like a national story but dingus i do agree with you you know he's desperate to get back to his little brother and i think part of it is because he has seen he has witnessed um Kids. Exactly. Uh, Kids on all sides of this. The unionist kid blowed up in the pub, and then Sean getting killed. who – you know, the movie takes pains to show us Sean's home life in a way that we don't see any other character on that IRA side.
2: Uh, Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about him sitting there doing homework with his sister.
1: Right, with the little girl, exactly. So the movie is showing us that this impacts children and people's relationships with children, Mm -hmm. you know, because the little pub kid is there with his uncle at the pub. Right. Uh, We see Sean with his mother. With presumably his younger sister, um, so what this is foreshadowing. For, I mean, what this is showing us is that you know children are casualties in this, right. and mm-hmm. that everybody is related to these children, and that yeah, there is this desperate sense of I've got to get back to the child that, that I love back home.
3: And right? he's sick of them, right? He doesn't want to see yeah. anymore, right? Yeah. But the, and the, it's, because it's, it's
2: also showing that he's afraid at the beginning. Right, he's right. afraid of him leaving. He's afraid that that Gary's going to be gone,
3: right? Yeah, but also, and the dude not opening the door fast enough, it's like, this is the negligence that leads to shit like this. Like, this is why, like, you, you're not careful with your bomb and you leave your kid in the Like, all this is happening because no one's paying enough attention or, like, on their game. Basically.
1: Uh, give me some open um, windows. Oh, well, wait,
3: before we do that, let's talk a little bit about that scene
2: um, in, in the office. Uh with, with the dude – I forget what his name is who's behind him um, with the Sean guy that you keep talking about, Tom. So
1: Sean Harris, he doesn't have a name, but he's – that's the actor's name. The character is just the leader of the MRF, the Military Reactionary Force.
2: Um, um, I and just, Armitage you know,
1: is the name of his, his ineffectual uh, commander.
2: Yeah. Okay, okay.
1: And they're so, both in the office during that scene. Yeah.
2: I was just really impressed by that scene because in an, in an American fictional movie, it would be that guy standing – Getting a medal. And getting and and like talking that guy down, but the guy behind him says, "Don't even try it." Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's that long walk down that awful yeah. way. Yeah. That's amazing. That's one of my favorite shots of this year so far. That walk, yeah. that production design. I don't know if it's production design or just a, a location. Cinematography too. But 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 him making the decision just to go along with it after we've heard basically mostly what we've heard is voiceover. I think of the lieutenant. You know, uh, objecting and being told, um, what is the what, what is the term of art they use that it's confusing? Is it confusing? it's a
1: complicated situation? Yeah, like the the higher level officer and you're writing, this is it is like I love that. Uh, so the director is Yann Demange. I love that he knows. It's not a talking head. Like he doesn't have that. Most of that sequence is on Jack O'Connell's face. Right, and it's not showing us Armitage. It's not showing us Sean Harris's character. We're certainly not really seeing much of the guy who's actually talking. Uh, and I love how he knows how long to hold that walk out of the hallway. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and a good director knows when not to cut. Yes. And that drives me crazy. Uh, so here, here's kind of an, a tangent. Um, I recently watched Inglorious Bastards, and there's a fantastic scene in Inglorious Bastards where Christoph Waltz is talking to Melanie Laurent, uh, and we know, the audience, that they have had an encounter before, and she got away from it. Now, we as the audience are watching, and we're wondering, does Christoph Waltz know that Melanie Laurent is Shoshana, who he's been hunting? Uh, She knows who he is. Does he know who she is? The scene goes on for a while. Quentin Tarantino is very good at drawing out that tension. And then at one point, Christoph Waltz gets off and he leaves, and we see Melanie Laurent let out her breath, and we sort of see what she's been – the strain that she's been under, and she's decompressing. And fucking Quentin Tarantino cuts away – yeah. Way too early. Like, the moment she exhales, he, he edits out. And no, like, we want to see that scene. We want well. to see the <laughs> aftermath of how she feels. Let us watch her a little bit longer. And a, a good director, I feel, knows when to let a scene draw out. And that's like with Jack O'Connell walking out of the labyrinth of military headquarters. Um that's a different kind of movie, though.
2: No, Labyrinth is it's, a great way to put it, Tom. It's That's a different
1: a kind of movie, Kelly Wan, but it's the absolute same thinking. Is that after a tense scene, after a situation has been resolved, let us sit with one of the characters for a little bit longer. Right. Um, Woody Allen does it constantly to Kate Blanchett and Blue Jasmine, which drives me crazy. Sure. Um, so no, it like three, young we month, sat so, with
2: him as he walked down the hall. I was, yeah. I was so happy with that shot.
1: Yeah, and, and this is this like guy's both. this is this guy's first movie, and he knows to do that, and that bodes well. That's fantastic, I think. Yeah, um, yeah.
3: but it's also the Inglorious Bastards things. Like in the middle of the movie, and there's other stuff going on, and they want to get to that shit. And like this is, I mean, no, 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 no. you cannot,
1: you cannot accuse Quentin Tarantino of being good at pacing. Quentin right. Tarantino knows really? when to draw out a conversation. He does not know when to just let us look at an actor. Uh, I think uh, Quentin Tarantino is great at dialogue. He's he's great at you know, keeping things uh, like keeping the dialogue snappy, uh, knowing when not to cut away from Melanie Laurent, I feel is, is a huge screw up. Just as someone who likes watching actors,
3: uh, but
1: in Jackie Brown,
3: after Chris Tucker gets wasted, he he like there's like that long scene where he's driving the dude or uh, Sam Jackson's driving in the car and that cool song's playing, like that parts. Like, it, it, no,
1: if your point is that Quentin Tarantino is a good director, I agree with you. But I'm just saying, sometimes it drives me crazy when a director cuts away too soon, and that drove me bonkers in that one sequence in. And it's not even sequence, that just that one edit in Inglorious Bastards, which I otherwise really like. Um, well, maybe she broke character right after that, or, or choked on the cream. Could be. Could be a She started giggling. Right. She couldn't. Yeah, straight she face. choked
3: on the
2: raspberry strudel.
1: Yeah, but yeah. And by the way, being is no, it's apple strudel. How dare
2: well, you? Darn it! I thought it was raspberry.
1: <clears throat> raspberry strudel. That probably doesn't even exist.
2: It's not in Germany. Tell right, give
1: me give me some over unders. So I already mentioned my over is a, is a movie called Bloody Sunday. I love seventy one. Seventy one is an, an ingenious bit of filmmaking. Um, and as far as uh, the, as far as movies uh, about in real world politically complicated settings where things spin out of control. Uh, Bloody Sunday, um, which also has a similarly non-judgmental perspective on the British from the Irish, uh, is a great example of that, and I would put it a notch above Seventy One, um, and I kind of call these um, uh, dread porn. Like we you know something terrible is going to happen in Bloody Sunday. because We yeah. you know it's about a massacre. Um, and Irish. And it just kind of revels in this dread you feel, knowing that it's all these events are leading up to something terrible. Like the um, movie Dread. Also takes place in a day, but go on. Uh, and no, they, yeah, not at all like the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> He's Irish. Tall. Whereas my under, I
2: can't believe you got to invoke the the movie Dread during this podcast. Dread, you win, Kelly.
1: Can't do Dread without 3D, as Kelly once said. <laughs> uh, whereas my under would be another similar movie about events in a complicated real world political situation where the events spin out of control. I also really like this, but I think Ridley Scott is a little too superficial with a uh, Black Hawk Down where he has to give you a, a villain character, like a super bad guy to represent like the evil Somalis. Um, love Black yeah. Hawk Down. I could do without the goofy villain character. So my over-under, which I would closely bracket two other movies I really like, Bloody Sunday is slightly better than 71. Black Hawk Down, not quite as good as 71. Kelly, uh, one, what have you done? You can go, Kelly.
3: Well, Tom, there's something about relationships I really want to impart to you after dingus's okay. well, um, over under but also um for my over um I, I know i'm not allowed to pick tv series but it kind of reminded me of the wire a little bit like just the the loss of innocence and the different factions and like how you sort of had to pay attention and like complicated political situations and really jarring deaths and i don't know just had that same vibe uh but since I had to go with movies, I just went with Irish movies. So my overs my left foot and my under's leprechaun in space.
1: I right, so you very closely bracketed it. Right. Very closely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um I
2: I I couldn't uh it was really difficult. I watched Bloody Sunday thinking that um, I I've was able to use that. it for bracketing, but it was just too difficult. Uh, so what I, what I went with was Behind Enemy Lines movies. Um, ah. and, uh, and so my under is actually Black Hawk Down as well. Uh, I love that movie. I think, and, and again, yeah. these both are very closely bracketed. Um, I think Black Hawk Down is a, is, an incredible movie and it has personal resonance with me um but i i think it gets a little goofy with the, with the guy who who i forget what the name of the actor is but when he when he goes deaf because of the shots near his head i i, th- I thought some of the oh, some sure of it was that. a little goofy and and when um when you and mcgregor is goofing around with the coffee I, I mean i've i've read the book and and that's and that's sort of huge to the book but but I think this movie understands its tone better than Black Hawk Down understands its tone, so. Oh,
1: Ridley Scott, that's Ridley Scott for you.
2: Exactly right. So I, uh, so uh, unfortunately I'm, I'm right with you because uh, I would like to choose something different, but we're, we're on the same page as far as Black Hawk Down being right under. Over, I would put end of watch, um, because I, I'm crazy ah, about that movie good. and I love the way I, I, it's, uh, we're, we're basically talking about just a scene or a sequence uh, where characters get ha- caught behind enemy lines and are trapped um, but there's a lot of the feel of this movie as um, as Hook is trying to get away from the apartment complex that reminded me of two characters in End of Watch trying to get away from that apartment complex <sighs> that's
3: a good one Wait, can I change my over to Dingus's? Oh,
1: I see, I have you I down for Leprechaun and my left foot, so no, I'm afraid you can't. It's already been entered into the record, Kellywand. However, Kellywand, was there any for your own personal life? Was there anything that you learned from '71 about, say, I don't know, relationships amongst people?
3: Uh, I only need one arm for Kelly McDonald.
0: One two three, I don't me that I'm eighty. 80. Da,
1: da, da. Okay, first of all, Kelly Wand. Kelly McDonald, not Irish. She's in Brave, she's Irish in that. Scottish, hello. Thing. The Scottish
3: don't use bombs either, and they also want to be. So that's. Scottish
1: didn't have the, uh, yeah, they don't. They have a very different situation going there. They're, they're this, stuck on the same it, island with the UK, by the way. On Ireland. It's a
3: different island.
2: You don't have to take a boat to get to Scotland.
3: Yeah, Ireland is What's its own island, Scotland? yeah. Wait, so why is Force Whitaker the king of Scotland if he's black?
2: He's the last one, because then they moved it.
1: That's that Kelly Wan, by the way, is is that that is the entire point of Edi Amin being completely batshit crazy. Yeah. Oh, Decided he was so we, the king of Scotland. Uh, it made no sense, right? What? It's, Wasn't that about Idi Amin? That was Idi Amin, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I thought he was King of Scotland, and that's why I was so confused. He's the last King of Scotland. because you know. He thought he was, and I think it made as much sense to everyone else as it makes to us now. Because
2: right. yeah. Professor X was there.
1: <laughs> Wait, Scotland's an island? Speaking <laughs> of Professor X, let's talk technology. <laughs> let's talk scenes in modern movies that have been canceled... By technology. We see this a lot lot with cell phones. Uh, So we're taking that off the table. No cell phone technology. Yes, we know that cell phones make other movies complicated. That's what sort of inspired this. Um, So let's talk about it in ways other than cell phones. What about cell phones as cameras? Now, uh, I know this was a a bit of a pain in the ass topic. I actually had a hard time with it. I had one great pick and the rest of the week I was like, geez, I can't find two other things. I think I'm okay. Uh, but this is a difficult one. Uh, Dingus, you're introducing next week's topic, so why don't you start us off with your number three example of a modern scene that is canceled by technology that can't happen with technology as it's changed over the years.
2: Well, I I actually really love this topic, Tom. Um, At first, I was just Hung up on your thing about taking cell phones off the table, and and my brain was all over the place. But when I really focused on the idea that you said scenes canceled by technology, it really helped me. Um, and uh, I really, really like this topic. I think it's great. Uh, so I'm starting off with a movie that I don't really like, uh, but I love I love this scene and I love the idea of it because of the way technology would cancel it, but how much better it works without. The technology canceling it, um, and so the the quote that I would say from the scene is, "Get a lot of writing done today."
3: Misery. Oh.
2: Actually, I think it's actually get a lot written today. Get a get lot written today is if it?
1: Everyone's right because I, write, I uh, can see that applying. He's not, but he's got the right author.
2: Oh God! <laughs> oh, it's *The Shining*. Oh yeah, it is oh. *The Shining*. Um, and Wait, I totally. I totally love, uh, and there's two scenes in particular. Um, I, I should have only chosen one scene because I really do like that limitation. Um, but it's just that, there's that earlier scene where just the clacking of the keys of the typewriter, which sounds different than the clacking of a keyboard, uh, of a computer. Um, I, I love the way that the clacking of the keys just fills that huge room where he's working in the overlook, where he sort of has his, his blow up at her when she comes to check on him. And he, and, and she asks him, did you get a lot of, did you get a lot written today? And, and he's like, you know, when, when I'm in here, don't come in here, basically. Um,
1: he is such a dick in that
2: movie. But I but don't. but the real <laughs> so, scene that I would use is is that stack of paper when she goes in and she looks. I mean, imagine that scene if she's scrolling through pages on right, right. the top instead of instead of looking through all of those pages and all the different. Uh, all the different ways it's pageant paginated it's probably the wrong way to put it but all the different ways that the that those pages are put together and it's all the same thing that he's writing but it's all put together in different ways and it's page after page after page after page and i think technology ruins that scene
1: that's a good one because i was trying to think of like typewriter scenes and that's great for the this whole uh, antiquated idea of like a manuscript you know being a physical stack of pages and that made me think of – I don't think that anybody else would pick this. There's that great bit at the end of Wonder Boys where Michael yeah. Douglas loses his last draft. Yeah. And nobody's going to have that anymore. That's not how people write their books. Uh, they're Although then he's writing on a computer the end. So oh, that's did. right. He upgrades. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Or he that agrees. great bit so – I, 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 I shouldn't do this. But that great bit where Miles gives Virginia Madsen his, his book <laughs> with the boxes from his car – and, and, like, he, there's more boxes than she expects, yeah.
2: Right, 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 right.
1: Yeah. Kelly Wand, what's your yeah. example of a modern scene that has been canceled by technology? More I stuff. just want to say – Yes.
3: Jack did get a lot of writing done that day.
1: That's true. The answer would have been in the affirmative, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it you know,
2: as much as I don't like uh The Shining I really and I really don't like that movie. Very much, really? Right? You don't? And I'm not I'm not a Kubrick fan other than um that that movie that uh, copies Fail Um but that that moment it's so creepy where she's looking at those pages pages after pages and then the the camera does that now famous thing where it kind of pans across way back in the back from his point of view, creeping into the room where she's looking and then moves forward is so freaking creepy, and you know exactly yeah. what's happening, and he's not hiding it from you. Um, but oh man, that when she's paging through the pages,
3: ugh, damn it!
2: <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Kelly.
3: The bats, good. Wait, you don't like the twins in that movie?
2: I don't. I, I just don't like the. Wednesday, I don't yeah. like the movie. I mean, I'm with Stephen King. I don't think. Uh, I don't think he's good for the movie.
3: I think he's changed his mind on it lately. He's like, yeah, all right no,
2: whatever, man. Yeah.
3: Wait, you don't think it's scary, or you just think it's annoying? Cause I think G- I, G- I don't G-
2: like her. I think his his silly quick zooms are are crazy, and taking me out of the movie and not scary at all. I, I think Scatman Brothers is silly. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't. I just don't like the movie. Sorry,
3: The Shining didn't help him much. Although in the book, wait, Tom, do you agree with things the, the Shining? No, 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 I
1: love The Shining. Just, so I hate sure. it when I saw it, but I think The Shining. If you take it as. You hated it when oh, you saw it. When I saw it as a kid, I was like, "This isn't scary. This is weird. I don't know." As really, as you didn't scare? It didn't scare the shit. Was it kid. was weird, and it freaked me out. A but kid. just as a, as a, it just seemed too clunky. But no, I love it now, and I think uh, you, you have to. You don't have to, but uh, I view The Shining as, as a movie about domestic abuse, and I think it's yeah. horrifying. I, I right. love what Kubrick has done with it. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Shining. And that music, music and that fucking hotel's creepy
0: as
3: fuck.
2: Well, It's definitely a movie about domestic abuse. I mean, that's
1: you well, definitely. There's but, a documentary there's somebody- where – there's this great documentary, and I say great in the sense of utterly silly, where everybody – these various people hold forth about what they think The Shining means. Oh, uh, yeah. series 3-7. Right. And, and hey, it's- so The Shining can be a, a bit of a Rorschach test in that you look at it, what does this mean to you? And as someone who loves horror movies that are um, sort of about other things than the, the superficial monster or ghost in the movie, uh, I think if you look at The Shining as a chronicle of domestic abuse – um I, I i get that I don't get the, well I, don't I, get the, I
2: just bring that to the, it from reading the the book i mean i really liked the book and the beginning of the book when he's in his very in the very first scene you get the sense that he's he's that dude That's that true. would beat his wife i mean,
1: i thought one of stephen king's complaints was that because they started with jack nicholson who's already crazy that it should be someone who becomes crazy over the course of the movie, right. but I think with domestic abuse, the kind of person who's going to beat his wife is the kind of person who would like torture an animal. Right. Or, or that, that's like a personality right. trait. It's not something you just magically develop. Um, well, or, well,
2: no, I, th- I think it's the it's. <laughs> I, I would actually disagree with that. I think it's it's somebody you wouldn't expect to be. You, you, it's not somebody but who would torture there. an animal. It's somebody who can't yeah. control. his so It's
1: always there. Yeah, someone who can't yeah. control his anger, who has anger issues, that's going to manifest itself in different ways, and that will ultimately. Yeah. Somebody who, who strikes a woman uh, is is going to probably have been a dick all of his life. Uh, and he broke his kid's arm in the book and the movie. That's why I don't understand why Stephen King. Oh my gosh! Saying. That's right. So that's that's from the book as well. well
3: well,
2: Stephen yes. King's problem is that he just came off of being on one floor Over the cuckoo's nest, so he, he already looks like a loon, and he doesn't want him to be like a loon. He wants the, he wants the hotel to have some some sort of psychological power over him as well. well he wants he wants us not to yeah. feel like this is a fait accompli and. Right. Seeing him come from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest makes it a fait accompli for Stephen King.
1: And That's not the movie that Stanley Kubrick was making. Stanley Kubrick wasn't making a movie about a guy who is driven by ghosts to abuse his wife and child. He was making a movie about a guy who is abusing his wife and child who happens to be a caretaker at a haunted hotel.
2: Right, exactly. You're exactly right. But when you cast somebody who's already played a crazy person, that kind of leads the audience in a certain direction.
1: Which is where I feel the audience should be when they're looking at a story about domestic abuse. Is it d- domestic abuse like there shouldn't be any like tricky? Is he or is he not going to be crazy? Is he or is he not going to hit Shelley Duvall? Um, yeah, and and you know I don't I don't I don't have a dog in the hunt because I haven't read the book and I in a way couldn't care less because I, as someone who doesn't care about the source material, the movie Stanley Kubrick made is about a dick who continues to be a dick, who's been a dick all of his life, who Shelley Duvall should not be with, who should not be taking care of this kid, um, who shouldn't be closed up in the winter with these two helpless people. Um, and yeah, I, there's, there's an argument definitely to be made that you can make a very different kind of suspense or horror movie if you do it a different way. Right. Um, but I think Stanley Kubrick obviously wanted – You know, I think that's part of the genius of The Shining is the casting of Jack Nicholson. Yeah. You know, even when he's in the office talking to uh, the guy oh, interviewing man. him. Yeah, he's like creepy and weird. And like, what, what is this guy? Who You know, like it's clear yeah. early on that he's is a little off and not very trustworthy.
3: Uh, Plus in the book, which I also like, like at the end, Jack hits himself in the face a bunch of times with this mallet. And that's how he dies, which then in, even in Stephen King's adaptation of it, he couldn't even bring himself to do because it's so dumb looking.
1: He kills himself with a mallet.
3: Yeah, because wow. it's a mallet, not an axe, for a game called Roke, or OQUE.
1: You don't think it reduces the
2: tension somewhat to have the guy look creepy at the very beginning?
1: Sure, but I don't think it's necessarily about, I don't think that's the priority. I mean, for another way, it's... It yeah, I don't think that's the priority, is, is tension or suspense uh, about Will here, won't he? Uh, it definitely doesn't make the movie less scary to me. But anybody can be an abuser,
2: I mean, that's... I mean, if no, you want I to talk disagree, about this, I disagree,
1: Dingus. Be... No, if somebody is an abuser, <sighs> is someone who has serious psychological issues. I don't think yes. anybody can be an abuser.
2: No, I'm no, it's it's of... anybody you look at on the street doesn't look creepy, and you think, oh, that guy looks creepy. He must be an abuser. It can be a guy in a suit who looks totally normal and acts okay. normal at the gaming table. It's
1: not normal, though. He doesn't act normal. No, it's that's not. <sighs> Jesus. All right. Never mind. It's... So, Dingus, you want the movie to deceive us and not be uh, so obvious about the casting. I'm saying that I don't. He want, want the hotel to that be revealed. Yeah.
2: No, I want the hotel to be revelat. I want the I want it to be revelatory, and it's not. It's it, if you guys are saying that he's creepy from the get go, that's not a revelation.
1: But it doesn't. I mean, why do we really have all kinds of people view. Right, Dingus, you're wanting Stanley Kubrick to make a movie where we don't know that he's going to abuse his wife and child. That's no, not I want
2: him not to, to telegraph people. what's going to happen.
1: Okay, so telegraphing is like, – like why is it inherently bad to have the character be clearly a bad guy early on? Why is that inherently bad? What's because the that's not, there's no dramatic tension there. I mean that's
2: – You think there's is, no dramatic so tension? not dramatic story, tension. Right?
1: You think there's no dramatic tension? There's less dramatic tension than if you made it a suspense or a reveal story, yeah. But I don't think it has to reveal. Like we can know that someone is a bad guy throughout the movie and it can still be a suspenseful movie. You know, the suspense is when will he crack? How will he crack? What will uh, he do? Not, is one, he going to crack. That's no, it's
3: not <laughs> he crack. <laughs> what well, because no, hotel? You don't think he would to crack? I, here's the thing the only thing, the point I'll give Dingus, Tom, is it uh-huh. does make Wendy dumber. Like she's. Oh, well, best, and, and that, by <laughs> the way, is, I
1: think, a very relevant thing to do in a story about domestic abuse. Is, you know, the uh, women I agree, agree women that. I agree with, with that. That. Should leave. And when they don't leave, it's not their fault, of course, and you cannot see on their problem. But when they don't leave, that's a problem. With a troubled
3: kid, no less.
1: Yeah. And and by the way, so the 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 hotel – and this is this weird thing in The Shining. uh, The hotel is relevant in that you you can't look at The Shining as a strictly psychological drama. Something or somebody lets Jack Nicholson out of the refrigerator.
3: In Dean Burial Ground –
1: Right, right. I mean, there's something really. supernatural going on there. It's of not course. just one there's, crazy guy abusing his wife. Uh, so the hotel is definitely like a, a, a factor. It's not all in his head, for instance. And I love that about The Shining because it's a weird decision to me.
2: Um, and It's not just that. It's that, that Danny and uh, whatever Scatman Crothers' character's names are, that's why, they're called, that's why it's called The Shining. They have some sort of an understanding or a feel that, that there's something wrong here. They, they feel something extra. I mean, there, there's an extra feeling. That's Danny Torrance has a has an understanding of that, and Scatman Crothers' character senses that in him. There's there's something supernatural going on here. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. that's all. Well,
1: even even the hotel wants you, right? You could say that you know, hotel, hotel Bottom. Yeah, but yeah. you could you could say that that supernatural like feeling is just both of them going on a hunch. Like, is there anything where? Where oh, Danny does see like the monster or the ghosts, right? No. Yeah, Halloran. The That's why it's called yeah. The Chinese. And they
3: and Halloran, he's like, what's the room three two two three seven? Like, dude, don't go in there. Like, well, like it's done. Right, like right, only right, Danny, right. Danny does you know the room number,
1: right, 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 right. before yeah. Halloran
3: mentions it. Right. So the dumb thing really is that Halloran works there. It just right. has but to. I'm
1: agreeing with you. Is that I, I'm saying okay. there, there's not this is not a psychological. You can't make this as a movie where it could all be in Jack Nicholson's head. That's the point I'm making. All right, all right, all right.
3: Yeah. And it's not a surprise kind of horror movie. Like, Psycho is, it has a decoy protagonist, but that doesn't mean every horror movie right. should have. I don't
1: know. Agreed. Well, we all know the real one is the Steven Weber TV adaptation. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Rebecca DeMornay. <laughs> all right, Kelly Wand, give us your uh, third favorite example of a modern scene that has been canceled by technology. And Kelly Wand, no using cell phones.
3: I didn't use cell phones, but I, I was kind of glad you didn't take internets off the table for my number three. As long uh, as you're not
1: ac- accessing the internet with your cell phone, it's allowed.
3: No, but actually this is my only good one. The other two are stupid, but um my number three, cause it has word three in the title. What's your hint? Any guesses? Three amigos. Yes,
2: That's right, because they could have looked up the word infamous and wouldn't have known that it was a bad word, not a good word.
3: Actually, yeah, and also the Three Amigos, they wouldn't have succeeded in talkies. Like, they were silent movie (laughs) stars, so they were too stupid to be in, like, say, 71. But that's not my number three. My actual number three is Three Days of the Condor, which is about a character whose job is to read books for the CIA which I think now would be you would need the NSA would need to hire someone to actually find books and read them from like remote lands. Like they would just use the internet for that. And also coming back from lunch and finding your whole, uh, all your colleagues shot. I think what he's have not
2: coming back from lunch. lunch. He's bringing everybody lunch. Come on now. I'm sorry.
3: Bringing everybody lunch, and also at the end, going, oh, the newspapers will care about this. Oh no, maybe like that. Like the fact, the idea that newspapers are somehow this big force. Like I think maybe I should have picked uh, all the presidents. men, actually, no, I love
2: that you chose Three Days of the Condor because I, I, I. Got that movie? I still haven't watched it since I bought there. I got this Blu-ray on sale of it, and I really wanted to watch it this week because I imagined that there would be something that would fit
3: Tom's topic for it. And I'm so I can't believe you chose it. I'm so happy that you chose it. Yeah, I like it. It's kind of dated in other ways. Like there's a really weird sex scene with him and Fedora. And the Robert Redford's character is supposed to be his whole thing's like books. But for most of the movie, he's fucking fighting like a badass. And he's like outwitting gunmen and shit and like doing
1: martial arts. When, when the assassin right. first comes to get him, doesn't he tie the assassin's hand with the uh, the telephone wire from a landline? Yeah. Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to do that nowadays when you have oh. like a uh, handset. Oh, I see. Yeah, but you can't
2: choose thing. phones, though. That doesn't work.
1: No, yeah, cell phone, no cell phones. Oh, oh about, a cell phone and a, and a, a regular wireless phone—different things, dingus. All right, good points. Yeah. How you about that actually,
2: elevator? How about that elevator scene? Would that have floated
1: today? We I love that. Friends. I
2: love that elevator scene in. How
1: are it? elevators invalidated by technology? Because normally they're personal transporters that beam you to higher floors. I don't know. It's hard
2: for me to imagine that little elevator in today's day and age.
1: That's also know. kind of European. Like I think you see yeah. that in Europe, don't you? But it's Washington, though. Do they have elevators like that in Washington still? I've never been there. Maybe our Washington can let us know. My yep. number three pick, um, in, in bring it on. Uh, <laughs> I'm Yes. Yeah.
2: No, I'm laughing because I actually looked at that as a possibility, but go ahead.
1: Oh, well, i a lot.
2: I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited that you did this. I have
1: no uh, idea what it is. Kirsten Dunst and Eliza Dushku are bring it on, and and they're sort of friends at one point. (laughs) And Kirsten Dunst goes to spend the night at Eliza Dushku's house. They're going to have a sleepover. And Kirsten Dunst has a crush on Eliza Dushku's brother, played by this douchey-looking guy named Jesse Bradford. Uh, (laughs) And it's that cute thing where, you know, when when you've got a sleepover and and the girl's brother – uh, you know, as someone who also had a younger sister, I always thought it was awesome when my sister had her friends over and I could
0: oh, flirt oh, yeah. with them.
1: Yeah, that's a great – that's really a benefit of having a sibling of the opposite sex and drill a hole in the wall. It's a great way to meet girls or guys if that's what you're into, Um if you're a girl. Uh, but at any rate, so there's a great flirty scene when Kristen Dunst is staying at Eliza Dushku's house where she and Jesse Bradford are brushing their teeth and – It's all about, you know, the little, like you brush and you spit, and it's all about using a handheld toothbrush, which these days, doesn't everybody have an electric toothbrush that you just kind (laughs) of hold it? Really, Kelly Wand? No, but all my teeth are falling out. Kelly Wand, get with the 21st century.
3: Uh-huh. I'm scared. I'm scared they will fall out the second I turn it on. I'm a little, a little scared of the electric toothbrush. Those
1: things are awesome. Yeah, and and by all the way, right? I saw in Trainwreck. There's a scene, There's a scene in Trainwreck where Amy Schumer uses an analog toothbrush, and I'm like, wait a minute, who still does that? What's up with that?
3: <laughs> Dingus, I feel like you have more control with the manual.
1: Kind is of is that the scene you were thinking of, Dingus, or something else?
3: Uh, no, I was thinking more general. The,
2: the thing is, Jesse Bradford happens to have a, a little bit of a character arc in uh, West Wing, which I seem to be binge watching right now. <laughs> Again, for um, really? the umpteenth time. Uh, yeah, That's I'm I'm crazy about just that.
3: Just to get to Tom's cameos.
2: But Jesse Bradford plays an intern in the White House, and so it made me think of uh, Bring It On. And I, what I was thinking of more was um, the fact that they're stealing routines, and and that would be basically routine nowadays because oh, you know, would,
1: just, would
2: just see it on YouTube. Right,
1: right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, Dingus, what is your number two favorite example of something like that? <laughs> where a modern scene has been cancelled by technology
2: right, this one's gonna get me in trouble but alright here's a quote from it I also put an advanced Furrier system on the main hallway chalkboard I'm hoping that one of you might prove it by the end of the semester
1: oh jeez I know what this is oh no I do know what this is what What is it Kelly one do you know it what is it yeah it's fucking
3: midnight run as usual oh no it's Stingus's other midnight run
1: oh Rushmore right right
3: right.
2: it's neither of those things
1: what is that no, Rushmore? It's Rushmore is that he solves the Fermi, Fermi's paradox yeah. or whatever. No, what did, Fermi's no. paradox is the thing about Rushmore. Uh, just,
2: he's just having a, a dream. Rushmore is just a fan of, that, that opening scene is just a, a fantasy.
1: Chalkboards
3: wouldn't work in your dreams nowadays. No, this is.
2: Do you know what movie it is, Either of
1: you? I don't. I thought. I feel like I've, I've seen I, it. I thought it was Rushmore. Yeah, I think I've seen it, but I don't. Rec- I can't think of it. What is it? you have seen it?
2: It is widely derided. Um, it is the movie Goodwill Hunting.
3: Oh, I have <laughs> not seen it. I have not seen Good will Hunting. You have not, not seen Hunting? I do not have How do you like them apples, dingus?
2: All right. Well, the guy who said <laughs> – I got his number, Kelly. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Yep. Um, so the guy who says this line is played by Stellan Um And so it's it's this idea that he's this brilliant professor, and he's put up a uh, – he's, he's at – Either Harvard or MIT. I can't remember. I think it, I think it's MIT. Um, so, yeah,
1: it, Matt Damon went to Harvard, but I think the movie is set at MIT. Yeah, MIT um, K Y. So the thing is, I haven't seen it, but I know everything you're about to tell me. Like I know I, it's one of those movies that I think enters your popular consciousness, even if you've never seen it.
2: Right. So the, the scene, the, the idea that that. Um, that the professor has put up this semester long problem on a chalkboard in the hall that everybody's going to go by and try to solve, uh, is totally solved nowadays by the fact that that kind of problem, that it, that is a, a semester long problem that is going to get them a huge amount of extra credit if they solve it, would be put online. Um and there's, there's just, as much as goodwill hunting gets, uh, a fair amount of derision. Um, I really do really like it, and I watch it again, and and I kind of feel guilty for liking it. Is that uh, why you
1: thought you were going to get in trouble because we all hate Goodwill Hunting? Or does yeah, because you... a lot of people okay. make fun of it. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck's
3: it, writing Oscar.
2: Yeah, Ben Affleck, and uh, is it Gus Van
1: Sant? That's it, it, that's
3: Van yeah,
2: it. it's it's a it's a, Gus, it's a Gus Van Sant. He directed it, um, but there's there's just a really my Captain like Captain. There's a there's this great there's a couple of great scenes the one i'm focusing on is the is the fact that matt damon is standing in the hallway right. uh, he's he's a janitor in this school and you know he's he's working on the the hallway and he and he solves the first uh this this um this fourier system he does that immediately
1: wait what are you saying Furrier system? fourier system
2: f o u r i e r fourier system yeah All right. Um, and he, he,
1: information, Tom.
2: He, he solves it uh, while he's cleaning the floors, while he's buffing
1: right. up the floors. Because he's that smart. Like, he's, and, yeah, he's a
2: genius, well, he's, right? Yeah, he's, a, he's basically a savant when it comes to mathematics, and when it comes to uh, reading anything, he remembers everything he reads.
3: The way but he is in RL it, about kid,
1: strip writer.
2: He's a kid from Southie, and he's a, he's a rough-and-tumble kid with his little gang and um
1: and <laughs> you're, you're sounding you're starting to sound like an imdb synopsis name.
2: I, I apologize uh and he I has this crew hard. of kids that he hangs out with so there's a lot of the movie that is uh, that is a little bit um glib as far as that's concerned uh but there's a moment so he he solves this equation that has a is supposed to set up there for the entire semester on a chalkboard in the hallway of this university, right. um, and everybody comes to the professor and says, "Who who solved this? Who saw who, who solved? It's not a, an equation; it's a uh, proof. Who who did the, who did the proof? And they can't figure out who did it. And then later on, in a, in a subsequent scene, Matt Damon is. Trying to do another one that the prof- that the professors of this math department put up that could that is totally difficult. Nobody can solve this. And he's standing there and he's doing it. And Stellan Skarsgård's character comes out and says, "You can't do graffiti here. How dare you? That's that's people's work." And Matt Damon runs off. Uh And then he Crying. looks at it and he goes, "Oh my god." You uh, solved it. Somebody solved it. And, and then he has to track down Matt, Dam- Matt Damon's character. And given modern technology, this would probably be posted online for people to work on.
1: So we're all in our 40s, which I'm sure you guys are kind of the same way. This always freaks me out in a movie. Not freaks me out, but it's just so weird to me in a movie. When you see a classroom scene, and all the students are sitting there with laptops open. Like that's so weird to me yeah. when I see in a modern movie students in a classroom with laptops. Uh, yeah, they can cheat. They can cheat, they can be playing Minecraft or World of Warcraft, they can just be checking their email, they can be updating their Facebook status. Yeah. We had uh, to pass notes to hit on girls back in our I day. remember having to like hide like if I was bored of the professor, I would want to read another book and having to hide right. it under the book yeah. that we were supposed to be reading for class under or, my porn. Yeah. You took porn class? Yeah.
3: He
2: taught
1: everybody? It. Oh. Kelly, Wan, What's your second favorite uh, example of a modern scene in a movie that technology has canceled, where cell phones can't count?
3: Um, in Diner, the popcorn trick wouldn't work now because popcorn bucket bottoms are more
1: dick-proof. How do they? How do they do that? Like how do they keep it dick-proof? How do they? Dick-proof well, there's the there's buttons? no hole
2: now. That's not been, hole. that's not been my experience
1: uh... Wow, uh, yeah, uh, oh, dingus, I a little uh, too much information? Uh, yeah. Mm, interesting. Do dingus, do you well, to elaborate, or should we move on? If your girlfriend's NASA,
3: uh, I guess it's easier to do a, a Martian My style. number
1: two favorite example of this... <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, in Children of Men, which this might be cheating, because Children of Men isn't technically a modern movie, it's sort of the near future, but I think this applies... Um, There's a fantastic scene in Children of Men where Theo realizes that this rebel base where he's at, they're plotting against him, and he's got to get out of there, so he's got to sneak out at night. Um, So he goes out to where all the cars are parked, and he takes the keys out of the bad guy's cars, and in the one car he's going to take, he sets it rolling down the hill so that he can pop the clutch when it gets to the bottom of the hill. (laughs) There is nowhere in the modern world where you could reasonably expect that if you just randomly – that a car is going to have a manual transmission anymore. Wait. That is the modern world though.
3: Isn't that a future modern world?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying is I might be – this is science fiction. Oh, I see. It might be sort of bending the definition of contemporary.
3: Right, okay. So like a Heinlein.
1: But yeah, how are you going in the future? This makes it even more unlikely that you're going to find a manual transmission. Uh, But as somebody who loves driving manual transmissions, that was one of the stipulations when I got my – My uh, car – like I – any movie where you see somebody pop the clutch, that's not really going to fly in any modern-day setting, unfortunately.
3: I thought as part of the the kid-free apocalypse, like all they have left is manual transmissions for some reason.
1: Where did all the automatic transmission
3: go? Where did all those – The kids – they went out with the kids. Like they lost them both together.
1: So that was part of this mysterious disease that made everyone –
3: Huh. It, effect, it affected kids in and, and, and automatic transmission. That's why the tank can't hit him also later.
1: Interesting theory, Kelly Wand.
3: Yeah, yeah pretty interesting.
1: Dingus, yeah. what's your favorite modern scene that has been canceled by technology?
2: Right Here's a quote from it. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I have never understand it. All these books, world of knowledge at your fingertips. And what do you do? You play poker all night.
1: Obviously, that is that thing. Rounders. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Rounders. <laughs> about David. About David.
2: Uh, no, I can't do a Morgan Freeman voice. This is a this is a scene from Seven. Um, I chose not to use any sort of uh, science fiction or whatnot, but this this movie does seem to take place in 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 kind of a different world you know, well, in a different city.
1: I thought it was L. A. Like Seven was clearly like wasn't it? I wasn't know, but all the side,
2: rain. But, I never believe any but, of that. Um, it's Blade Runner L. A. But I love the scene the scene in particular that I'm talking about, and again, there's kind of a tandem of scenes I've done this with all three of mine and I apologize Tom um, but it's when when Morgan Freeman goes in late at night into the library and all of those security dudes are up on the upper level playing poker, and he he he's coming in to, to figure out who John Doe is and, and what he's up to. And, and he's looking through all of the stacks to find these books that he thinks are going to help Mills, Brad Pitt's character, figure out who's doing the killing. Cause obviously, um, Somerset, uh, uh, Freeman's character is about to retire. Uh, and he, but he goes into the, the library late at night after it's closed. These security guards are all up there playing poker. They, they're like culture. We got culture for you. And they, they, have this boombox playing this beautiful music as he's sitting there in this library. And nowadays all, all you would need to do is just Google uh, Dante's Inferno or, or any, any of those things that he's looking for. All you would have to do is Google any of those things. Um, and then the, the subsequent scene is Brad Pitt trying to read one of the books that, uh, that Morgan Freeman has suggested that he should read. And he can't even get through one page of it before just throwing the thing on the ground and, and calling Dante a bunch of names that I don't want to say right now. And then a, a policeman comes and brings Brad Pitt Cliff's notes. Uh, he brings them to this package. Good job, officer. All right. now he opens you- them. And he spills Cliff's Notes onto the seat of the car. And I don't know that you would even need Cliff's Notes in this well, day nowadays, and age. You
1: would, you would just go to Wikipedia. Like instead of Cliff's Notes, you would have Wikipedia. Yeah.
2: Right. And, and I was yeah. talking to somebody this week. Which would be more, um, accurate? Wikipedia or Cliff's Notes? Wikipedia.
3: Uh, Wikipedia would – I don't know. That's a good question because Cliff Notes would be more – they'd be longer. Right? Wikipedia is peer-approved. It's a crowd-sourcing of knowledge. It so. it is it is peer-approved,
2: but Cliff Notes actually is a published thing, but it doesn't get changed. Um, but
3: Cliff Notes is also like way fewer topics, and Wikipedia has kind of everything on it.
2: Right. Yeah, but still, anybody can edit. Wikipedia. Nobody can edit something that you have that's a printed thing in your hands. And furthermore, when you have the actual Canterbury Tales or whatever in your hands, nobody's going to come, up, come, be able to come over and write in it. But both of those scenes, that scene in the library with Morgan Freeman after hours and the scene where Brad Pitt's get, Brad Pitt gets his cliff notes, that would be totally cancelled nowadays
1: because you, because a, a police officer is not going to bother to do those things nowadays. Yeah. Research really does get screwed up by the internet, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what's something we saw recently where someone was using a microfiche machine. I was thinking a lot about that too, Tom. And someone else who he's researching comes up behind him and is like, hey, are we going to lunch? What the heck was that movie? Maybe you guys didn't see it. I don't know. I don't think think we did. He's researching the guy who's actually coming up to talk to him. I guess you guys didn't see it. No, wait. That sounds really familiar
3: it's something recent you're right
1: yeah what? wait is and it's like there's a bunch of
3: library things where he's just like constantly going back and forth to yeah different... yeah yeah exactly uh
1: and it's not like it's not the uh what's it, it's not zodiac i was thinking a true story but kelly Wand, you didn't see that
2: well sounds of the lambs has a, a really good microfiche scene.
1: No, it's not that old it's something uh, recent. Um, fuck where the guy's going it to what? different libraries and he's researching something and he. oh Oh. no you know what it is kelly one it's not recent at all but i saw it recently Get ready to what blow your it? mind. I'm going to blow your mind. Just oh, two. yeah. Arlington Road. No, it happened at something else. Oh, what? no, I'm thinking of Arlington Road where uh, uh, Jeff Bridges is researching Tim Robbins' mystery identity. Yeah, I remember that. And he's at a microfiche machine. And Tim Robbins, who just happens to be in the same office, you know, at the city hall or whatever, comes up behind him. He's like, hey, you want to go to lunch? And Jeff Bridges is having to hide that he's researching on the microfiche machine. I, is it in Gone Girl, too? Or am I the only one who's seen Gone Girl? Probably. Yeah, we have seen it. Ha ha, you saw Gone Girl. I liked it.
3: <laughs> That's how stupid I am. Sure I enjoyed did. it.
2: Tom told me not to watch Gone Girl. He, he he begged me just to read the novel. Oh,
3: it's awesome. It's got a, I, I The first hour, I was like, this movie's the worst. And then the last hour, I was like, oh my god, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> totally, flips, totally flips a switch.
1: All right, it's well, Kelly weird. Wand, as a Gone Girl fan, what is your favorite example of a movie where modern... S- uh, a modern movie scene is canceled by technology. Okay,
3: uh, I'm going to do a quote from it. Well, I doubt it's a zombie. Hmm, tough room. Um, okay, an yeah. alien? Nowadays, we'd, an MRI would see an alien in your stomach. Really? You're going to go with that?
1: Uh, uh, my other ones are equal. Don't engage him. Just don't Sorry. engage him. Yeah. No. All right, my number one... Favorite. This is actually the one that uh, that made me think of this topic, um, because I've seen the, the remake recently. Uh, so in Poltergeist, in the first Poltergeist, there's that whole idea of the time of night when TV is over, um, and that's where where Carol uh, Ann engages the television with the snow. Uh, and know, national the, anthem too. Where you have right, right. You can close with the, the national anthem and then the little symbol, and then it goes to snow. And there's this dead period of time at night, uh, wait, I which lends, I which goes to this idea of like nighttime being substantially different from daytime, and um, and there's none of that in the modern day with twenty four hour TV cycles and and it, there's and no TV started, static. There's no TV static, and furthermore, when the TV is disconnected, that's not what it looks like anymore. Uh, you know, there's that famous bit about the first line of Neuromancer, the William Gibson novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Neuromancer, which was written in 1984, you know, it's an older science fiction novel. The first line in Neuromancer sky. is, the sky was the color of television turned to a dead channel. Oh. William Gibson wrote it. Mm. The idea was that the sky was like gray and, and diffuse. And dead nowadays, channels are... nowadays, a dead channel is bright blue. So any, any, new, any kid reading Neuromancer nowadays, the sky was the color of television turned to a dead channel – would imagine a brilliant blue, bright blue sky.
2: <laughs> BSD straight.
1: <laughs> <show? it> really- <laughs> uh, so my my favorite and, and in the, the Poltergeist remake, what they do is it's kinda of, I mean, I don't know what they're trying to replicate, but tell one you saw it, right? Like the Yeah. The T V it's it's something. just kind of like it's kinda of like a VHS where the, yeah. the little tuning thing is turned wrong and there's a bunch of hands like up against hands. the screen from behind <laughs> it. Yeah, it makes you no
3: drill the drill as a replacement for the guy picking his face. Well,
1: there's, Fuck there's that all, movie. Yeah, there's all kinds of stupid things that it does, but tree. it can't do this idea that was so awesome back when Poltergeist yeah. came out of the snow on a TV set and this dead period uh, where television didn't work, you know, reinforcing this idea that the whole world is asleep and that it's nighttime and that you're cut off, this isolation. Uh, the parents also smoke pot in
3: Poltergeist, which I think now would be, oh my god, oh, like it would be considered, like they'd be the worst parents. So ever. you're saying Kelly Wan, the smoking pot, is canceled by technology? <laughs> yeah, and the dad's reading a book in bed, like some Leia Cohen book or something. Like there's, a, it's a very '80s movie.
2: It's like ridiculous considering that pot is legal in so many places now.
3: No, I know, but in a movie, I don't think pot-smoking parents would be in a Spielberg movie as the heroes, and they don't smoke pot in the new one. Right, they it's have sex. The, that's instead. That's, that's what they're naughty when they get caught. They're having
2: sex. sex. Is the new pot?
3: Right, but in that old one, like it's def- the fact that he's smoking pot doesn't like it's just it makes them kind of cooler, almost really. I don't know. They're just a, they're just a cool couple, and and that's gone from movies. Pot smoking parents being fun is way gone.
1: Like that's a, that's totally a relic. I should have. Yeah, you never see that in a Jet Apatow movie. You're right, Kelly Wand.
3: <laughs> Not in a horror Spielberg movie. With Fred, about, and, with Lin have,
1: yep, Fred <laughs> and Lin have. Fred and Lynn have one contender. They say uh, they write. Not sure if this is what you're getting at, but how about the boombox scene and say anything? Oh, I had those. Of, of course, my, that's a great uh, one. Yeah, because nowadays you would have an an iPod and you'd put in little docking speakers. Yeah, which wouldn't be as impressive to the girl. Uh, they write as a teenager myself in the '80s, the boombox was to me what a transistor radio was to the Van Morrison brown-eyed girl generation before. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, that iconic scene is trapped in that era's technology. Very good, Fred and Lynn. Paul Weimer writes, Number three, in the movie Taking Care of Business, the plot of the movie revol- revolves around a high-powered executive losing his philofax of contacts <laughs> to a convict who uses it to poses him and change his life. While philofaxes are still made... The Reliance on a Paper Organizer for Everything is a Relic of the Past. What is a Filofax?
2: A Filofax is like a it's like a big um, – like an organizer that you would have but keep everything in it. And there's there's a movie where he – where a character leaves it on top of a payphone at an airport and then leaves. And I forget what movie is that, that is. Is
1: that Not Taking Care of Business?
2: I don't think it is Taking Care of Business. Is That's that – a- is this a Matthew Broderick
0: movie?
1: I don't know. I was thinking, is it? What are those round, like circular things where there's an index card for all, all your contacts? That's not a Filofax. No, it's Roll it's
2: more. Like, it's basically just a glorified planner.
1: Okay. Paul's number two pick in the original Fast and Furious movie. Dom and the gang go to great lengths to steal shipments of DVD players, and getting the FBI and, and LAPD on them for it. Those coveted DVD players are nearly worthless junk these days. Even a shipment of Blu-ray players wouldn't really be something they'd go after now. They'd probably go after, like, Xbox Ones or PlayStation 4s, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. movie with music videos. Music videos are kind oh, of Oh, here's a great one. The entire premise of One Hour Photo relies on the idea of taking analog films <laughs> somewhere to be developed. These days, the family would simply download their photos from their camera and share them on Facebook, and Robin Williams' photo developer, side would have no creepy stalker part of Nina and Jake's life.
3: Well, play- or the only ones would be stalkers, because that's why he'd be the last person that had a one-hour photo, because it'd be the
1: last one-hour photo. Kind of ruins blow-up, too, doesn't it? Where, uh, yeah. Or anything where, like you develop film. Uh, Jaws 2, Kelly Wan, which I recently watched. <laughs> you know, they find the diver's camera. And they you watch that? Film. Yeah. They develop the film, and it they, they shows the, the bits of the shark. Yeah. That would just be digital. Yeah. I saw that at a drive-in, which also don't exist anymore. What was part it was, I presume it was part of a double feature. What was showing with it, Kelly Wand?
3: Um, Amityville. Everyone honked when the shark died, I remember. And I thought drive-ins suck. Let's get out of here. Is
1: that what you're supposed to do to drive-in? Man, instead wow. of a plot, the shark
3: died, it's you honk. You're supposed to make out, I thought, And sneak people in the trunk. Right,
1: right.
2: Did they mention Charles Groden in that file effects thing?
3: No, that was uh, Paul Weemers, and he doesn't, yeah. Right. He was inside it? Inside the file fax. That's why his hair's that
2: way? No, I'm, I, I think I was wrong about Matthew Broderick. It might be Charles Grid. I can't. I, I can't. Uh, sorry.
1: Go ahead. Uh, Arthur no. Geovenen Joy writes, number three, the Big Easy. Dennis Quaid uses a high-powered magnet to erase a security tape. I feel like these days that footage would be digital and stored in some off-site servers. I don't know, they do it in Breaking Bad, too.
3: They, wait, what, movie? The Big Easy. The Big Easy. The New Orleans, Dennis Quaid, Ellen Barkin's sex movie.
1: Uh Chinatown, Dirty which I'm going to disqualify as not a modern movie, Arthur. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a period really? piece. <laughs> Much of Guinness' detective like, work would be accomplished by a variety of gadgets in today's movies. Most notable, ripping a page from the public records. Uh He doesn't mention the thing with the watch, which he does to find out what time a car leaves. Now they cut off his nose with an electric knife. Arthur writes, (laughs) the movie was made in 1974, and I think it's set in 1937, so it probably breaks the period piece rule. Yep, you're right, Arthur, it does. But Arthur gets in the last word by writing, forget it, Tom, it's Chinatown.
2: Nice. (sighs) What's his first choice? I'm sorry.
1: His third choice was Big Easy. His second choice is Chinatown, and his first choice, again, I'm not sure this is a contemporary movie, but his first choice is The Incredibles. Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, also not a movie, by the way, it's a cartoon, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl argue about what exit to take in order to stop the rampaging robot. If they had some sort of GPS navigation device, this argument would not be necessary. It saddened me when kids see this movie in the future, they may not get this hilarious moment.
3: Also, no one wears capes anymore. That's like a 1700s thing. GPS navigation does screw up a lot of stuff as well, though.
1: That's a good one, Arthur.
3: Yeah, like Blair Witch. But then it's – seeing horrors you go, oh, wait, even the GPS is broken
1: because the thing's possessed.
2: Well, that's one of my favorite things about Jurassic World, by the way.
1: Brian Kent writes, it's nothing to do with cell phones or telephones, but it's kind of like the thing in War Games with the pull tab that Dingus mentioned. And that, that's – by the way, that's just his subject header. He's just getting warmed up. <laughs> uh, all right. His first pick is Memento, uh, Guy Pierce's Polaroid camera. Hmm. Yep, that's a great one. Because I love the reverse shots of the, uh, the, the, the photograph coming into play. Yep. Or coming into, not focus, whatever you call it when a Polaroid develops. Uh, mm. His second is Die Hard. View. After hands mm. request that the rocket launcher guy is, quote, hit it again. In regards to an armored police car that's attempting to enter Nakatomi Plaza, McLean takes some of their C4 and sends it down the elevator shaft, strapped to an old CRT monitor. Oh,
3: <laughs> that wouldn't have worked on a flat.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah it would have totally been different.
1: Yeah, Brian <laughs> says I'm <laughs> laughing, trying to imagine McLean attempting to grab a widescreen flat panel monitor or even just a laptop and sending it down. Or just to and throwing it down. Uh, and then his other pick is The Ring and or Ringu. Uh, that's a good one. The Strange Case of a VHS Tape That Kills You once that's you've it. seen it really would have been perfect for the '80s when the horror movie genre survived on rentals. Way after the ring takes place, even what's what? Tomorrow would, wouldn't even know what a fucking videotape is. She's like eight years old. It would have to be on a DVD or that or the uh, the anthology that the VHS anthology that we liked some of. Yeah, I never got why she
3: cared about VHS anyway. Like, all right, like that seems like it had nothing to do with anything else about her. Like a well doesn't have anything to do with videotape. Uh,
1: it's Japan for you, Kelly Wand. Oh, Dave Perkin writes, "Who I have a great one." <laughs> In Meek's Crossing, which, again, not a period piece, um, he's talking about the reloading scene in Meek's Crossing, which is great, but not a modern scene. In it's Meek's technology. Cut-Off. Oh, also, he got the name wrong. Ha-ha. Dave <laughs> and you didn't notice. Dave <laughs> it was screwed up twice. I was busy three-by-three uh, three policing his actual reference, and you're right. Title sounds right. Wrong. Nick D., the usual suspects. The ending of the movie features a scene where Kaiser Sose's picture is faxed to the police station and gradually prints out. Today, yeah. just be an attachment on an email. Very good, Nick. Uh, no way out. The movie's uh, suspense hinges on whether or not Kevin Costner will be able to prove yeah. who the killer is before a Polaroid, a Polaroid photo can be restored by a computer. Yeah, the whole suspense is how
3: shitty technology is.
2: Um, that's a great one, and that was my number one for a while. But but I think the the thing that hinged on me dropping it, and and it's fine that they, that he chose to, to to hold on to it. But when Tom said no cell phones, I I just I equate a cell phone with a camera now, and that <laughs> particular technology. I mean, the whole point of that sequence is that. They have to scan this Polaroid, uh, but you would have just taken that with your cell phone and then uploaded it to Instagram or whatever, and that wouldn't even be a plot point. So I I, I agree that it that it that that scene that those scenes are uh, are canceled out. but I couldn't include it because of the because I I I I was very narrow as far as honoring Tom's cell phone thing. That
1: would definitely work well, with the Memento objection as well. Is there's no Polaroid now? Like in Memento, they would have to do something with you know him taking pictures with his you know, cell phone camera. Yeah.
2: Right. Well, and I was I was thinking about Memento and thinking about well why wouldn't he just take pictures of everything or put notes on his cell phone? But but instead of doing tattoos, um, but But I think maybe he would just be afraid he lost his cell phone or something.
1: But he wasn't afraid about losing the Polaroids, though.
2: Oh, good point. I
1: think you're right, Dingus as they would – Memento as a modern script. He would all be on the cell phone, yeah. I lose a lot of cell phones. Uh, Nicky's number one pick, The Fugitive. In one scene, Harrison Ford is pretending to be a janitor at a hospital in order to gather evidence. But a nurse played by Julianne Moore catches him peering at a young boy's chest x-rays. Today we no longer have x-rays printed on filmy uh, Transparencies. They are digital. Oh, shit. I didn't even know that. I need to get an x-ray. Yeah, I guess they're all uh, okay. digital. Uh, when I, I took my cat to the vet recently and he, they uh, x-rayed him for uh, – they just did x-rays of the cat. And the guy showed me the x-rays on an iPad, which I'd never seen before.
2: Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I can't Julian there. Moore was in The Fugitive.
3: As a, yeah. as a minor role, even. I didn't I didn't remember that either. It's a good good pick, Nick. Yeah, Nick. Uh,
1: and then uh, three by three or uh, uh, quarter to three movie podcast patron Saint Chris Marketson writes.
3: Uh-huh.
1: I'm pretty sure this isn't a very good list, but here goes. I'm imagining him saying it in that voice, but that's what he wrote. That's how he talks, Canadian number three. The net. Not only did Sandra Bullock <laughs> play Wolfenstein 3D on a Mac. But she's also using three and a half inch floppies for data storage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the genius. It's weird to see that now and reminds me of trying to configure Autoexec.bat and config.sys to play games on my three eighty six many, many years ago. That is horror. kind of funny how <laughs> how computer technology really gets dated quickly in movies. Right, it's yeah. kinda of hard to do that, isn't it? It becomes the source of horror
3: into alright, Wikipedia, blah blah blah. Like no one's scared of computers now. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs>
2: There's a great moment. I'm sorry to bring up West Wing again. This is not a TV podcast, but a, a reporter decides to just drop a bit of information for the White House, uh, not the chief of staff, but the, the press secretary, C.J. Craig, uh, and he drops a, a 144 I don't know if we could say one point four four. What do you what would you even say? Um disc on the floor accidentally. And there's this square sitting on the floor. It was because like, she, she wants to know the story before it comes out and he accidentally drops this huge
1: disc. Yeah, this thing's floor. the size of a table napkin.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And then the knock list in the first mission impossible where he does all that shit with oh, the
1: yeah. magic. <laughs> Wait, that's on, like a a a- on a one hundred on a one point four four <laughs> floppy as well. Yeah.
3: That's hilarious. And there's a backup for it. And then the, he dingus knows what I'm talking
1: about. Uh, Chris's number two pick: used cars. Both times that Freddie oh. hijacked the TV signal, they broadcast them over the air to TV with antennas to pick up the signals. With the advent of cable and TV, this isn't the kind of scene uh, that you're likely to see anymore. That's too fucking high. Uh, and then Chris's number one pick: <laughs> Fight Club. With the, oh, this is a good one. With the move to digital, the days of theater using movie reels and actual film is long past, Oh, making the tutorial in Fight Club a scene you're unlikely to see in any modern-day movie. Yeah. I suppose it also makes it hard to splice in frames of genitalia as well. Nice. All right, runners-up yeah. from you guys. I didn't have any because I had a hard time coming up with those. Anything you guys could think of?
2: All right. In, in the in the tradition of that, that just – oh, man, it takes forever. Ever for the no way out thing to actually, uh, show up, uh, is the facts in usual suspects. It takes yeah, someone over. mentioned
1: that. We had, who, oh, was- uh, sorry. Yeah, we had
2: that. Um, one definitely. So the other would be Toy Story for me is the idea of a webcam. Um, if you had a webcam, uh, how are those, uh, toys gonna run around?
1: Oh, like a nanny cam or something. Dude. Yeah, like
2: if you have a nanny cam on somebody's monitor. room, uh, the idea is that as as soon as, as adults or, or humans aren't in the room, the toys right. get to come to life and run around. Can that even exist if we have a webcam where anybody can see what you're doing at any time, whether they're at work or not?
1: Modern-day surveillance, that's right,
3: yeah. Right. Webcams don't see toys. Right. It's like Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. Um,
2: my other one is... Um, <laughs> uh, this uh, this is another mini driver. I had two mini driver choices. This is the one I did not choose. Uh this is from uh um Gross Point Blank and that is her uh running this little radio station in town um and him having this wonderful little scene with her at the radio station uh when he first when John Cusack first comes to town and he meets with her, leaves and then comes back in and they talk while she's 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 this DJ at this little radio station that's that's just on this little storefront, right up there. You can see right into the radio station where she's doing this. So there's only so much that can happen between them and they're having this great reunion, uh, which I really I really love that scene. But nowadays, first of all, he'd probably be coming in town listening to his uh iPod or whatever, then listening to uh, hopefully a podcast or something. Uh and so he wouldn't be listening to a radio station and uh even if if she were doing that, there probably wouldn't be a radio station that existed. She would probably be at home. Uh, she could be broadcasting from home, and different things would be able to happen at home that could be happening at a storefront radio station.
1: I think there, there's that bit in Pitch Perfect, too, where uh, Anna Kendrick really wants to work at a radio station. And I, I wonder, like, I, I think oh, radio yeah. is probably still more relevant, like, on college campuses. Like, I know, I think it's our friend Bruce Garrick, who lives in uh, North Carolina. Uh, gets a lot of his music from, from the college radio stations around that area. Uh, oh, I wonder if that's more of like a generational thing too. Yeah, okay. I think you're right. Because yeah. I, good Lord, I couldn't imagine listening to radio anymore. That's that's always you know like a last resort. You either listen to your music or a podcast, but who's gonna be at the mercy of a radio station? Good well Lord. we are the radio now, isn't it? Kelly Wan, that's uh, remarkably insightful. I'm not sure what <laughs> it's insight into, but very insightful. Just saying words. <laughs> uh I had- Two runners-up. Yes, carry uh, up. What do you got for us?
3: Poltergeist 2, uh, Native oh, American. Yeah. Native American exorcists are now extinct. And also um, in Transformers, we now know, thanks to Neil deGrasse Tyson, that alien robots wouldn't
1: talk like that. How would they talk? Just different. They wouldn't okay. say like, sure. They would talk like R2-D2, right? Yeah. Right. Like everybody. We yeah. wouldn't know what they're saying. Yeah. Right. They wouldn't go. All right, Shia. Duh. Unless we were like, like, so. Luke's, does Luke Skywalker and... know what R two D two says? I forget. Yeah.
3: He can tell uh, what R2-D2 says. No, but Han knows what Chewie's saying somehow.
1: Oh right, right, right. Yeah.
3: But I think Chewie's really just saying. Ur-ur-ur. And then <laughs> Han's. Like, yeah, all right, buddy. Simmer down. I'll fuck her. Luke tucks back and forth with R two.
1: So he knows that, like, droid language. Do other people – does everybody in the Star Wars universe, like, know droid language?
3: No, I think
2: no. – just- they
1: need C-3PO to tell them. Like,
3: yeah, R2-Day-Toa said – like that shit. Okay. If
1: that helps. Well, what would really help is for Dingus to tell us what next week's 3x3 is. Dingus, what do you oh. got for us, and how can the listeners participate?
2: All right, yeah. so – um uh Thanks to a recent three way three, I watched No Country for Old Men again. Mm. <laughs> um, and there's this satchel, briefcase, whatever, full of cash uh, that the, that is, uh, let's just say it's uh, it's contended for in this particular movie. <laughs> um, And as much as I love No Country for Old Men, I'm really – I'm just so freaking sick of seeing pristine cash in movies. It just looks like all of the bills in that – in that particular satchel were had just been made yesterday and uh, and also ironed again and then put into this thing perfectly stacked.
1: Well, Dennis drug dealers are notorious for just taking really good care of their cash. <laughs> they really the, are. That's what, laundering, that's what money laundering is all about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's good, Tom. They do launder it, and then they
1: also press it yeah. afterward.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, there, and then I saw another movie uh, recently called Everything Is Illuminated, where the same thing happened, where where just with the cash is just it's just pristine bills that somebody has been carrying around on this long journey, and then they hand it over in an envelope, and it honestly looks like uh, I don't know just. You you just made it today and you handed it over to me, so I'm really kind of tired of seeing that right now. Even though I love uh, No Country for Old Men, so um, I, I want you guys. We've talked about money before in that Tom has talked talked about uh, specific sums of money. I want to talk about currency as used in movies, and I want to I want you guys to choose your favorite uh, things where. Where currency is used in, in movies, but it's well-worn money. Dirty uh, yeah, where it looks a little dirty. It looks. It looks worn. It, it, they're, they're, it's obvious that that this money has seen its way through the system, and it and it makes sense that the character actually has it instead of these props that are being carried around that are these things that you can flap like. Uh, as if you were doing one of these little cartoons that you drew as a kid on a, on a pad of paper. Um, so this is this is well worn money, dirty money, as Tom put it. Currency that looks that looks actually like the currency that normally we use, yeah,
1: like realistic cash, right? Yeah, okay. realistic cash. Yeah, I like that. Don't let Kelly want to ask any questions because I already know some that he would ask that would ruin some picks. Right. Oh. <laughs> All right, Dennis. How can yeah. participate? All right. So you guys,
2: um, please write us. Uh, we love reading your your emails about these things. So go ahead and write us at three by three. That's three x three. The number three, the letter X, the number three at quarter to three dot com, and we'll read your email on the air very happily.
1: And next week we are going to see Ghost Protocol Rogue Nation. Oh. Check that out and join us for a discussion of it, as well as our 3x3 three three that Dingus just introduced. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Omroski.
2: Uh, it is Christian Murroski.
1: And Kelly Wand.
3: Tom Dinklage could have been awesome in Pixels, and that will never know.
0: La 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 la. It's the God awful small of To the go with the mousy head.
1: So for the listeners who didn't realize, uh, Kelly Wan really wanted us to see Pixels for the podcast, and I gladly put the pie washer on that. <laughs>
2: have you it's already seen it? You haven't seen it, have you, Tom? You
1: know? you know? No, good Lord, I'm not gonna see uh, I haven't seen Pixels. I haven't seen it, along with the rest of America. Oh, oh
0: ouch.
1: Wait, it already came uh, it out uh, there. Uh, it got beat by um, Ant-Man in its, what, second, third week? Yeah. yeah. Really? Barely. Oh. Actually, throw so it... We record on a Sunday night, and a lot of times on a Monday morning, the studios release the actual figures. Okay. Uh, but it's neck and neck, and it looks like uh, Ant-Man is going to beat Pixels in the opening weekend. Yeah. Listeners,
3: Tom yeah. thinks Dinklage sucks in Game of Thrones.
1: Thoughts? Yeah. Kevin we'll discuss that so- on our. We'll discuss right. that on our TV podcast, and we'll have more uh, talk about him. Yeah.
0: Oh,
3: don't you think, Dingus? Hitman, and uh, John Sebastian.
2: You wanted to be a podcaster, Kelly. This is what being a podcaster means.
3: Get away, you ball bag! I mean, come on, you ball bag! Huh.